Blog Talk Radio. Hi guys, I know it's been a long time since I've made a video. Um, I will be doing a video here soon on why I have not been on here making a video in such a long time. Um, but right now I am so led to put up this video. Um, this is a dream that I had early this morning and I just I feel like it's a great encouragement to the body of Christ and it's a great seed planter for those who um, who are looking for this call for Christ into their life. Um, okay, so I'm going to get right into the dream. Alright, so in this dream, I was walking in, it was like a flea market, but they were all indoors. It felt like I was walking through like houses and stuff. And there was a bunch of drunkards and or, there was orgies going on. There was homosexuals walking about in there. Um, I remember seeing like, Oh, it was so it was just so wicked that the atmosphere felt so tight and just gross and I, I I really wanted to get out of there. Um I was walking uh to try to find a door to get out of this this disgusting place and I remember there was this black cat that kept following me and uh it jumped up on my shoulder and I took it down and I started putting it back on the ground. I didn't want it to, to follow where I was going. And I saw this cat like for a long time and then finally I found this back door I went out the back door, and all of a sudden, the atmosphere changed. It was more quiet, and I saw this big fence gate. It was a big gate, and I unlocked it, and I went out the gate, and I started walking down this street on the, by these houses, and my husband was walking with me. And all of a sudden, we, I had this like feeling to look up into the sky above this one two-story house. And then when I looked up, I saw this figure coming from the clouds, coming all the way down and it was way up there and uh it was all i saw from a distance was red and white and it looked like he was coming down on vapor and uh it got closer and closer and closer and then finally it went on top of this this roof and it was jesus it was it was jesus i saw him uh, i saw him i saw him in my dream this morning i saw everything about him what he was wearing his face his his beard his hair everything he was holding this this uh, shepherd's staff, the one with the hook on it, and he 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 tapped this roof, and in this roof, I saw in the window this little boy woke up from sleep, all happy, like he knew what was going on. He he knew it, and Jesus said, "Have you been a good boy?" Going like that, like knowing that the boy's been a good boy, and the boy said, "Yes, yes." And then all of a sudden, this little boy turned into this light. He was light. This boy, he turned into light. He became light. And it was gold and glittery. And then he shot up out of the roof and he went up. And then all of a sudden, I felt this urge, this uh, this feeling of, uh, I need to get down on my knees. I need to start praying. So me and my husband, we got down on our knees. We started praying to the Lord, forgive us of everything, Lord. Uh, cleanse us. Help us, to get, help us to be prepared and ready. And uh, it was just this feeling of just an extra feeling of needing to pray to be ready. And I remember I had this feeling of, when's it my turn? When's it my turn? feeling and um he jesus looked over everything was happening really fast but jesus was showing me it in slow motion and he looked over i saw the moon the moonlight hit his face and i can see what he looked like he now i never believed that jesus looked anything like the guy that played jesus in the passion of the christ Jim Caviezel. I never thought that that's what Jesus looked like, but honestly, in my dream, that's that's the closest that he resembled. Um, 
not saying that that's who he is, um, but I'm just saying that that's what I saw in my dream. Very beautiful man, beautiful, beautiful man. Um, his his face was so happy, so white, full of life and love, uh, gentleness, uh, just such a sweet, sweet presence. It was so beautiful. Uh, he had this nice beard. It was perfectly. I've seen I've seen pieces of him before and in quite a few of my other dreams, but this was the most detailed I've ever seen Jesus in all my dreams that I've ever shared. Um, he uh, had this red cape, like with this red hood that he had over his head, and he had uh, this white robe underneath this red, it was like a red scarf thing, but it had like a hood and it draped down really long, and uh, it was really, it was nighttime, but I could see him from the moonlight. Um, and uh, so all of a sudden he looked over after we started praying. He looked over down the street, and and he wanted us to look over the to see what was what was happening. So me and my husband we looked over there, and all of a sudden we saw many more golden lights, people, souls sh turning into golden lights. They became light, and they shot up in the sky. And it was Jesus was omnipresent. He was at each house. I saw him the same him that came down from the sky. I saw him on every other roof. So the it was like sped up time. It was really cool. It was neat. Um, so that was that was this dream that I had. I woke up, I, I, I told my husband, I was like I was like, Stephen, I saw Jesus. I saw him. I saw Jesus. Um, I was just so excited. I'm so happy. All day I've been just so encouraged, so happy. Um, but yeah, I have uh, been in the scripture all day before I've done this video to upload it, looking for everything to put into the description box of all the scriptures that I woke up to uh, that back this dream up. I know it was the real Jesus in my dream because I've had other dreams before that I've previously, previously shared on my channel of a antichrist, uh, a, a a Jesus that's not our Jesus is the fake and it's the Antichrist and he tries to look like Jesus but it's not Jesus but this one I knew I knew it was Jesus I just knew it um, so uh, a lot of the things that stood out with me was the gate that I went through it's very symbolic uh, the red covering that Jesus was wearing was representing of his blood only those that he was going to that are covered in his blood will be saved and, and go up there with him um, the rooftops, there's tons of scripture on the rooftop, uh, Not maybe not tons, but there's a couple scriptures on the rooftop, which I will link into the description box. Um, the, the, the black cat is not, I didn't get a good feeling with this black cat. Uh, I, I looked up a dream interpretation of this black cat, and it said something about unbelievers. And the cat happened to be in a place where people were partying and drinking and having orgies and all this stuff. This cat was walking around, so it was like a sign that these are all unbelievers, I felt like Jesus was telling me. These were people who were not going to make it. And um, another thing was his staff, because he is the shepherd, and he leads his flock to safety. Um, so that stood out for me. Um, this vapor that I saw him coming down from on the sky, there's scripture on how the same Jesus is going to come down on the clouds. He's going to come into the clouds. So I'm going to link all these scriptures down below. Um, I had this overwhelming feeling that it was the midnight hour. I woke up, I, I immediately told my husband, I said I had this feeling it was like the midnight hour. Uh, it was nice and just 
it was like he came like a thief. It literally was like he came down as a thief. He was so good at it. The way he did it, it was like I came from this horrible environment. Um, can't talk today. I'm so excited. I can't even get my words right. Um, it was like the environment that he showed me before was like Sodom and Gomorrah. It was like as in the days of Noah, they'd be partying and drinking. And then I, I come out from there, and then it's so peaceful. Children are in bed sleeping. Uh, it felt so peaceful where I was from where I came from. And he just came down and just took his children. He got his children. And um, it was it felt like the midnight hour. It felt like he was coming like a thief. And he was so happy. He was so happy that it was finally, it was over with. And he can he was going to get his bride. He, he just, oh, I could see the happiness in his face. He, oh, I got goosebumps. I got the Holy Spirit all over me right now. You could just feel he was so happy. It was over. He's just been, he's waiting for this. He can't wait for this. He can't wait to come grab us up and bring us home. He cannot wait. Oh, another thing was, um, it was the roof, which uh, I don't know if I said this before. Roof is very symbolic too in the scripture, and um, and the praying. I was led to pray. I felt like it, you need to be ready at all times, uh, always praying that you are counted worthy enough to to make it when he comes. You always want to keep yourself clean and cleansed. Uh, get away from from what the people in the world are doing. Don't do what they're doing. Uh, get yourself ready. Get yourself focused, which is, this has a lot to do with a lot of what I go through on my daily basis. Um, I'm going to be putting up a video soon, Lord willing. I know I've been saying this for a long time, but there's a reason why it's taking this long. Um, God's just not ready yet, and I feel it's coming very soon for me to put up this video. Um, so... Uh, I know for me, um, I'll speak for me right now, and I actually feel like a lot of the body of Christ is actually going through uh, the same thing that I'm going through because we're all connected because um, we are his children. We're connected. We're going through similar things, if not the same. Uh, but there is a lot of spiritual testing going on right now, a lot of um, just spiritual warfare. There is darkness trying to get us and break us down. We are in, like my husband says, he says we are living in the times of temptation right now. Uh, the temptation is going on, and you can, and we can feel it. Um, we're we're in a battle constantly, every day. Our our lives are uh, thriving to stay straight on the narrow with Jesus. We are thriving and trying our hardest. So uh, please, please, I know I've been saying this for months. Please keep me and my family in your prayers, please. Um, another thing I feel very led to say is to um, really start praying for people. If you have not been able to get through to them and all you're getting is confrontation from, from them, from trying to preach the gospel, trying to get them to understand, don't even, don't bother going out at them like that no more. Go into your prayer closet and pray hard for them. You will start seeing a change. Um, I know personally, me, that's what I've been doing. I know that I can't talk about it no more because it, it does not work. If anything, it causes uh, horrible things to happen. So now I've been listening to the Lord in me telling me it is now time to go into intercession. intercession. I told you I can't speak right. I'm just so excited. Um, yes, it's time for intercession for the people that you've been, your family, your friends, um, just average people, uh, people who mock and scoff at you, um, 
just go into intercession for them. Pray. Pray so hard for them. Um, that's what I'm trying to do. Um, I'm really, I'm really, really trying to focus on this. Um, but this is an encouragement dream to the bride of Christ, the body, the people who know that Jesus is coming back. And this is a message for all those who don't even know. Uh, he is coming back. There's plenty of scriptures on it. Everything coming together uh, on end time prophecy on when he said he was going to return. You were going to see all these signs. We are in the in the day of temptation right now. Um, it is going to be a matter of uh, the enemy fooling the elect if possible. Do not be one of the elect that's getting fooled. It's it's so easy. It's so easy to forget and to hear all these other stories about all this new age stuff. It's like you really, really got to thrive and stay focused. Um, Yes, so, and don't put your trust in man, put your trust in Christ, because he's in here, he's with you, if you have him, he's in here, and, and you can hear him constantly, constantly. Um, another thing is, I want to cut it short, because it's like going on almost 13 minutes here, and uh, I don't want to keep you guys up, um, but uh, pray, just pray. Prayer is the most important thing to do right now. It's the most important thing. We are living in the very last hours. Any moment, any day, Jesus is coming as a thief in the night for his people. He is coming. He's coming. I'm telling you, he's coming. I felt it. felt an urgency today. I felt the joy of the Lord knowing that he's coming for his people. He is excited. He is so excited. He cannot wait. Okay? I love you guys so much. And be prepared because I do have a video coming out soon. Um, I'm more in-depth on why I haven't been around in the last couple months. Just know that it's been a big training for me and for my husband. We've been going through some spiritual trainings. Okay? Um, I haven't really been dreaming much. Uh, a lot of my dreams are trying to get me through what's going on in my everyday life. Um, so, yes. I love you all, and I pray that all is well and blessed, and I... Oh, I just love you. I can't wait to see you guys. Bye. All right. For today's prophecy update, I find myself needing to once again keep up with everything that's happening. <laughs> because everything that's happening is happening at a breakneck speed. If you're anything like me, and I suspect that you are, you're probably noticing what I'm noticing, and that is that things are revving up as it relates to world events of prophetic significance, and specifically concerning Israel and the United States vis-a-vis -vis Iran and Russia, which, as you know, is what we're told will happen in the Ezekiel 38 prophecy. If you were to ask me why it is that I thought everything was speeding up so quickly, I would have to answer you with two verses out of the book of Revelation, the first of which is Revelation chapter 12, verse 12, which says, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, woe, a curse to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. And here's why. 
For the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because, and pay particular attention to this, he knows that he has a short time. He knows he doesn't have very much time. The second verse in Revelation is in chapter 22, also verse 12, where Jesus himself says something very interesting about his coming. He says, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Now, what's interesting about that? Well, what's interesting about this is that the word for quickly in the original language of the New Testament Greek is tacos, not taco poke, <laughs> tacos. <laughs> it's where we get our word for tachometer or tachometer, which is a measurement of revolutions per minute. Interesting, the time is set, one minute. But the revolutions vary. In other words, when Jesus comes at the set time, world events will be revving up to the point where, if you will, they're redlining. And I see what's happening in the world today as not only revving up, but redlining. So when Jesus says, Behold, I come quickly, what he's saying is, Behold, I'm coming at a time when things are going to be really revving up. I would suggest that in just the last 12 months, since June of last year, we witnessed firsthand this prophetic revving up. Actually, it was this month last year that the U.S. Supreme Court commenced with the hearing of the same-sex marriage case before it. And sadly, it would become law in June of last year. And here we are, 11 months later, with lawsuits surrounding transgender restrooms. I suppose in some ways we shouldn't be surprised. Jesus himself told us that this is what it would be like in the days before his return. In Luke's Gospel, the 17th chapter, verses 26 through 30, I'll read them. And as it was in the days of Noah, Jesus speaking, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, interesting, until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, speaking of Sodom and Gomorrah, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded, but the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. It's getting increasingly more and more difficult to watch the news coverage on this whole transgender bathroom situation. Um, one has rightfully asked, what's really going on? I know that smacks of conspiracy theory, but that's a good question. What's really going on here? 
What's this all about? Um, the world is falling apart. Of course, that's because Bible prophecy is coming together. But the world is falling apart. The United States of America, economically, is bankrupt. And we're concerned about a percentage of the population that could be identified as transgender or gender-identified. And we're going to disrupt 99.9999 ad infinitum to accommodate 0. .0005, I think, is actually the number. Think about that. What's really going on here? Is this a distraction? Is this a, a distraction or is there some sort of a satanic warfare of sorts that's taking place here? I believe it could be all of the above. One thing is for sure. This is exactly what it was like in Sodom and Gomorrah in the days of Lot. And this is exactly what it was like in the days of Noah. It's believed that in the days of Noah, same-sex marriage was legal. Legal. Think about that. And as it was in the days of Noah, and as it was in the days of Lot, so too will be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. This one prophecy standalone is convincing enough for me as to how close we are to that trumpet sounding and the rapture of the church. This one prophecy, forget about all the others, and there are many others, this one prophecy alone, every time I, and you can't, especially here in Hawaii, you can't, go out and about without... I was at the mall. I don't get out much. I was at the Alamoana Mall. First time probably in about a year I was there. And I was shocked to see uh, how much has changed just in the uh, time since I've been there. I mean, it, literally three same-sex couples holding hands overtly. I was in a restaurant... This is last year or two. I, again, I don't get out much. <laughs> and I'm sitting there with my family, and these two girls are... <sighs> I prayed for them. I prayed for their salvation. They need Jesus. I mean, they're, they're kissing, and they're behaving very inappropriately. It would be inappropriate if it was a man and a woman in a public setting, but these were two young women, and it was just heartbreaking. It was just heartbreaking. Well, let's move on. If same-sex marriage weren't bad enough, last June was also the month that a deal was finally reached and the U.S. signed the Iran nuclear deal. June of 2015 was, to me, one of the worst months in the history of this country. It was really a spitting in the face of Almighty God. And it was really made clear in no uncertain terms that we had turned our back on Israel. 
God's people, and we have certainly turned our back on God himself. So, here we are 11 months later, only to confirm that which we suspected all along, which is that we were lied to about this nuclear deal with Iran. What follows are several stunning news reports about how the Obama administration deliberately deceived, deliberately deceived Israel and America, not to mention the entire world. Did you hear about this breaking news this last week? Let's start with this Times of Israel article from last Sunday, in which they report that a White House official admitted that he had fudged the facts of the Iran deal in order to sell it. Let me quote the article. A senior official in the Obama administration acknowledged that the background to nuclear talks with Iran was misrepresented in order to sell the impression of a more moderate Iranian regime and thus gain greater American public support for an agreement. According to a New York Times interview, the final proposal for an interim agreement that became the basis for JCPOA was completed in March 2013. What? Three months before the moderate Rouhani took office as president. Obama told the altered version to the world, including when saying in a July 14, 2015 speech, Today, after two years of negotiations, the United States, together with our international partners, has achieved something that decades of animosity has not. One would think, and I think you would agree, that this admission would create, and I mean an unprecedented outcry, and this on a global scale, but no. According to this Observer op-ed piece from Tuesday, it was only met with merely a shrug. Here's some of what the op-ed piece had to say. A bombshell exploded this past weekend with the White House at the epicenter. And while the repercussions should have been felt throughout America, most observers merely shrugged. The president's deputy national security advisor, Ben Rhodes, <laughs> lied to the nation repeatedly about negotiations with the Iranians over the nuclear deal. In a New York Times Magazine publication, Mr. Rhodes admitted to, no, he bragged about creating a phony narrative to sell an unpopular policy initiative and then co-opting the foreign policy establishment which he termed the blob to sell it for him. The article goes on to say, as soon as the deal was signed and previously frozen funds began to flow to the regime, the Iranians proceeded to behave as they always have behaved. They ramped up, interesting choice of words, missile tests, denied inspectors access to sites supposedly covered by the agreement, seized American sailors on the high seas, 
and couldn't find a buyer for the heavy water they were required to dispose of, so they asked the U.S. to pay for it rather than just destroy it. Congress should hold hearings on the deception, and Mr. Rhodes should be required to testify. The Iranians continue to hedge, skirt, and demand more. Hang on to that. I want to come back to that. For complying with the agreement. We need to stop throwing away good money and stop sacrificing our and our allies' security for the fantasy of an empty deal. This morning, I watched in horror as CNN's Farid Zakaria had one Susan Rice asking her about this. Ah, I have to confess that I didn't pray for their salvation. Probably should have. They need Jesus too. (laughs) But I think for me the, the hardest thing is they are lying. They are lying. And she proceeded to lie even more saying that this was a misrepresentation of what Ben Rhodes said in that New York Times profile. Are you kidding me? This guy is boasting about how he pulled the wool over the eyes of the American people. I suppose, at the very least, the question should be asked, How did they get away with this? And how do they continue to get away with this? They outright, deliberately, intentionally deceived and lied to us. How how does that work? How do you get away with that? Well, we need look no further than to this breaking Israel news report on Monday where they provide us with some very interesting insight into how they pulled this off. And it's very interesting. According to the report, and I quote, Rhodes is particularly flippant in describing his methods. All these newspapers used to have foreign bureaus, he said. Now they don't. They call the White House to explain to them what's happening in Moscow and Cairo. The White House. Most of the outlets are reporting on world events from Washington. The average reporter, listen to this, the average reporter we talk to is 27 years old. And their only reporting experience consists of being around political campaigns. That says it all. Quoting Rhodes, that's a sea change. They literally know nothing. Rhodes has become adept at ventriloquizing many people at once. He knows how to navigate the new world of social and electronic media to ensure his version of the truth is circulating. They're masters at this. We created an echo chamber, Rhodes said, 
They were saying things that validated what we had given them to say. So we knew the tactics that worked. Rhodes is proud of the way he sold the Iran deal. We drove them crazy, he said of the deal's opponents. Rhodes explained, the drive behind President Barack Obama's policies in Iran and elsewhere in the Middle East is that of, listen, putting appeasement of enemies ahead of supporting allies. Wow. Wow. Pretty revealing. On Thursday, in our midweek Bible study, we're in the Old Testament, and we're studying through the book of Second Kings. We were in chapter 18 last Thursday, which... Interestingly, is the account of King Hezekiah's appeasement of his enemy, the king of Assyria. And the reason I point that out is because what Hezekiah does is eerily similar, <laughs> such that he even went as far as stripping gold from the doors of the temple to appease the Assyrian king. Here's the thing. Hezekiah's policy of appeasement failed miserably. Of course it will. By virtue of the fact that, just like Iran, the king of Assyria kept demanding more and more, even sending his ambassadors to Jerusalem to demand more from Hezekiah, who tried to appease the enemy. And this is what we're doing with Iran. And they're getting away with it. They're getting away with it. The fact of the matter is this. So too will Obama's policy of appeasement be met with a decimating failure. And it's evidenced by this Times of Israel article on Monday in which they report that, listen to this, <laughs> Iran is denying their testing missiles that can reach Israel. Of course they are. Of course they are. And let me ask you a question, and I'll quote this article in just a moment, but let me ask you this question. I want you to think through this question. Who do you believe concerning this Iranian nuclear deal? On one side of the table you have Barack Hussein Obama telling you, telling us, Hey, this is good for Israel. And on the other side of the table, you have Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, who says, this is a very, very, very bad deal. Who are you going to believe? Especially in light of this revelation that Obama deliberately deceived us. Who are you going to believe? Obama or Netanyahu? It gets worse. According to the Times, Iran's defense minister denied a claim by his own deputy chief of staff that the country recently successfully test-fired a high-precision ballistic missile that can reach Israel. 
Earlier Monday, the state-run Tasneem News Agency reported that the deputy chief of staff of Iran's military, Brigadier General Ali Abdullahi, announced the test at a scientific conference in Tehran of a missile with a range of 2,000 kilometers or more than 1,200 miles and a high degree of accuracy. He said the test took place two weeks ago and that the missile proved accurate to within eight meters, but provided no further details. I'm not the sharpest knife in the kitchen drawer, but when you see video and pictures of these missiles in Iran that have written on them in Farsi uh, and English, by the way, uh, death to Israel, pretty good indication that that missile is intended for the destruction of Israel. Uh, call me silly. It's just a hunch on my part. You'll forgive my cynicism. Not only is Iran denying that it is testing missiles that can reach Israel, Obama, <laughs> true to form, is doing everything he can in the short time that he has to fight with Israel. The Jewish press published an analysis stating that the Obama administration was fighting Netanyahu via Associated Press leaks. Quoting the press, the Obama administration has apparently decided on its course of action regarding Judea and Samaria, threats and attacks delivered through well-placed leaks with the major news outlets which are intended to foster anxiety in Jerusalem. Apparently they've mastered this across the board, across the globe. They are masters of this. The case in point in this weekend's AP story citing U.S. and other diplomats who say Obama plans to endorse a tougher tone against Israel in the upcoming report by the so-called Quartet of mediators from the U.S., the E.U., Russia, and the U.N. Said diplomats have promised that the U.S. will no longer endeavor to temper the language of the report, criticizing settlement construction, demolitions, and property seizures. They also promised to place the blame for the impasse in the peace negotiations squarely on Israel. <laughs> on its face, the AP leak looks more like a taunt then a change in policy reminiscent, remember this, of the reference to the comparison by an anonymous administration official of Netanyahu to chicken droppings. That's not the word. Droppings isn't the word. In the famous October 2014 Jeffrey Goldberg article. I suppose that all of this should come as no surprise to those of us who know Bible prophecy and the reason is is that we're told that this is exactly what will happen at the time of the end of human history namely that of Satan's plan to destroy Israel on Wednesday Arut Sheva published a very telling article about the Palestinian Prime Minister's admission that they were following the path of the Nazi Mufti. According to the report, the Palestinian Authority Prime Minister Rami Hamdallah 
said at the Beit al-Makdis Islamic Conference in Ramallah, Samaria, that the conference is inculcating the path of former Mufti of Jerusalem, Hajj Amin al-Husseini, who infamously sealed a pact with the genocidal Nazi regime to wipe out all Jews. Hamdallah termed al-Husseini, who was a close confidant of Adolf Hitler, as the pure-hearted son of the Palestinian nation. In the conference meeting, PA Minister of Holy Sites, Yusuf Ida'is, also referred to the infamous Mufti. This conference is a continuation of the first Islamic Beit al-Makdis conference held by the deceased Mufti Hajj Amin al-Husseini on Palestinian soil in 1931. And here today, we walk in his path according to the instructions of the PA President Mahmoud Abbas. In an ironic twist, given Hamdallah's claims of rewriting history in Jerusalem, Beit al-Makdis is in fact the Arabicized, that's Arabic, the Arabic version of Hebrew Beit Hamikdash. Beit is house. In other words, <laughs> they're actually using the Hebrew name, they're just pronouncing it in the Arabic way. And by the way, that's the term for the holy temples that stood in Jerusalem. I love it when God does that. <laughs> you know, over the years, I've recommended and quoted from what I would argue is by far the best work as it relates to the so-called Palestinians, of which there is no such thing. It's by Ramon Bennett, and it's titled Philistine, The Great Deception. Kindly allow me to read an eye-opening quote from this thoroughly documented and factually correct book. You can get it on Amazon, by the way. Arafat was born, this is Yasser Arafat, the founder of the PLO, Palestinian Liberation Organization, was born August 27, 1929, in Cairo. He's Egyptian. He was Egyptian. His name was Abd al-Rahman Abd al-Rauf Arafat al-Qudwa al-Husseini. Did you get that? His maternal grandmother, listen, was Mahmoud al-Husseini, cousin to the aforementioned Hajj Amin al-Husseini. There you go. The Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, confident of Adolf Hitler. And a Nazi collaborator during World War II. He was Arafat's mentor and guide. Arafat avoided mention of his full name as it reveals his blood relationship to the former anti-Semitic Grand Mufti. Arafat took the name Yasser in memory of Yasser al-Bira, a leader of the Grand Mufti's reign of terror in the 1930s. This so-called Palestinian cause is a manufactured cause by the devil himself. It is a ploy, it is a plan, and the end game is not a state with Israel, it is the destruction of Israel. Please don't be ignorant and fooled 
concerning this truth and this fact. Here's the bottom line in closing. I need you to think through this question. If Israel is God's prophetic clock, and it most certainly is, then wouldn't it stand to reason that we're in the very last seconds of human history? I know that might seem provocative, but for those of you who know me well, you know that I really believe this with all of my heart, that this is the truth. And this is why it is that we, I believe, are on the cusp of the rapture of the church of Jesus Christ. This is one reason I believe this, one of the main reasons I believe this, and please know there are many reasons. But one reason is this, and again, I want you to think about this. I cannot see a scenario in which all the prophetic momentum will somehow come to an abrupt halt. I can't imagine uh, Russia and Iran pulling out of Syria. can't imagine the Islamic State saying, hey, we're going to cool it on this whole caliphate thing. I, I can't imagine the whole world just kind of pushing the pause button, if you will. There is a momentum prophetically now globally. And I believe it is unstoppable. And this is why I believe it is that things are revving up. If you're not a believer, I implore you to believe in and call upon the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved today. Not put it off. I'm going to take it a step further and say that not only is it time for unbelievers to believe, but it's also time for believers to get serious. What do you mean? Well, I don't know. I don't think playing church is going to cut it anymore. We're living in a time that is very unforgiving of playing Christianity. I think the time is at hand... And the time is now to be very serious about your relationship with Jesus Christ in these last moments of world history. Lastly, I want to take just a brief moment and explain how it is, and perhaps more importantly, why it is that salvation in Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved from eternity in hell. What? My Bible says hell is for eternity. If hell isn't for eternity, then heaven isn't for eternity either. By way of illustration, I like this simple graphic. It communicates this childlike, simple message we call the gospel. The gospel essentially means good news. Your debt has been paid in full and you've been set free. That's what the word gospel means. In the beginning, God and man were in fellowship together in the garden. 
Man walked with God, God walked with man. But through Adam, sin entered the world and separated man from God, which is why Romans says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all, we were all born sinners, which is why we all need to be born again. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Because sin entered the world through the first Adam, Jesus entered into the world as the last Adam to die for and pay in full for all our sins. The finished work of the cross and the resurrection of the Christ bridged the gap and thus restored and reunited man to God and God to man for all who would but call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth, and you will be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Why don't you stand, and we're going to pray. Loving Heavenly Father, I pray that my teaching today is such that it was clear that I clearly stated and presented the seriousness of the times in which we are now living. Lord, I pray that for anyone who might be in this wonderful church that is my privilege to pastor or someone who may be watching this online, I pray, Lord, that if they don't know you, if they have never called upon you, that they would do so today. And that today would be the day of their salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to, before we um, get to our prophecy update today, do two things. The first of which, and I'll just be very brief, uh, I want to take a moment to thank everyone for your overwhelming response. And again, one of the reasons we do this before the update is because, especially for the benefit of our online church, uh, we, I, I want to reserve the end of the prophecy update to uh, share the gospel. And so that's kind of a, a sacred time, and I don't want to uh, talk about these kinds of uh, things uh, at the end. So last week I had, uh, the Lord had convicted me and humbled me, and I, uh, in my pride, didn't want to ask, uh, but the Lord uh, really um, uh, humbled me in that regard, and I brought our financial need uh, to God's people uh, as it relates to what we need in order to complete the renovation of our new building. And I have to tell you that the response was just overwhelming. And I just want to say thank you to all of you who gave so generously and uh, cheerfully. It is so encouraging. It's humbling. Uh, and as such, we're going to continue uh, to update you as we move forward by faith. We're going to trust that God is going to provide all the necessary funds that we need. God knows what our need is to complete this, his church. And so I just wanted to... 
uh, say thank you, especially those of you online who uh, gave so generously. The second thing I want to do before we get to our update is uh, do a Memorial Day tribute. I was actually looking back uh, over the last couple years, and I was in Israel last time uh, with a number of you, so we didn't do a Memorial Day uh, tribute. Then the year before that was, I think it was on a staycation uh, because I wasn't in the pulpit on Memorial Day. So it's been a couple of years, but and I think maybe in a way that's why I wanted to take the time today to commemorate and honor the memory and really honor the families of those who have fought for and died for our country. Um, I was thinking about this this morning, and I was just a young kid during uh, Vietnam, but so many of my friends' dads uh, lost their lives in uh, that war. I just remember how devastating it was uh, to those uh, families. I want to share with you some poignant and powerful quotes that I hope will enable all of us to remember what this holiday is really all about. I know that tomorrow we're going to barbecue and, and um, you know, have uh, family and probably go to the beach and do what we usually do on Memorial Day, but I wanted to take just a moment and uh, talk about just how powerful this particular celebration is. One Thomas Campbell said, the patriot's blood is the seed of freedom's tree. Think about that. Robin Hayes says, Memorial Day this year is especially important as we are reminded almost daily of the great sacrifices that the men and women of the armed services make to defend our way of life. Uh, in this day and age in which we live, this is even more apropos, I think you would agree. George S. Patton famously said, It is foolish and wrong to mourn the men who died. Rather, we should thank God that such men lived. Yesterday, I happened upon some kind of mind-numbing statistics estimating the number of Americans that have been killed in war. And I added up the total, and it came to 1,246,800. And that's at the very minimum. 625,000 Americans were killed in the Civil War. 116,000 Americans killed in World War I. 405,000 Americans killed in World War II. 36,000 Americans killed in the Korean War. 58,000 Americans killed in the Vietnam War. 2,300 Americans killed in the Afghanistan War. 4,500 Americans killed in the Iraq War. And that total doesn't include all of the Americans killed in all of the other wars. And these are just, again, estimates. Think about that number. 1,246,800 lives sacrificed, fighting for the freedoms that we today enjoy. It's for this reason that I want to take the opportunity, and this is why I wanted to do it for the benefit of our online uh, people. I want to honor all who have served or currently serve in 
our armed forces. And what I'd like to do is have you stand and remain standing because we want to pray for you. We want to acknowledge you. We want to honor you. And we want to bless you. and want to thank you. So please uh, stand and remain standing if you would, please. Thank you. Please remain standing. We, we want to pray for you. Loving Heavenly Father, these men and women standing before us today, we owe such a debt of gratitude to and for. Lord, we're so thankful to you for them, for their lives, their lives of service and sacrifice. Lord, we're mindful today of all of those who gave the ultimate sacrifice, paid the ultimate price, and lost their lives in service to this country and for the freedoms that we today still enjoy. Lord, for those standing, we pray your blessing on them, and we thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. And thank you again. Thank you for your patience. Let's get to our prophecy update. Today I want for us to focus our attention on the developments last week, specifically concerning Jerusalem, <laughs> the focus and the obsession of the entire world, as we were told it would be by the prophet Zechariah. Um, I want to talk specifically about this uniting against Israel and the pressure on Israel to acquiesce to that which would ultimately lead to the complete and total destruction of the Jewish nation. And it's because of this so-called two-state solution, which if you've been listening to or here for the prophecy updates in recent weeks, you know why it is that this two-state solution is Hitler's final solution repackaged, reinvented, renamed. But it's this so-called two-state solution that will, in effect, bring Israel to the place where they relinquish control to the Antichrist, at least for the first three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation, and it's all done under the banner of peace and security. I'm going to begin with the stunning news that broke last week about the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu appointing Avigdor Lieberman as Israel's defense minister. Uh, this is, you'll forgive the cliche, but this is a game changer. This is huge. This changes the whole complexion seemingly overnight with the stroke of a pen, or if you prefer, the click of a mouse. This appointment. According to the Jerusalem Post, the majority of Israelis don't trust Netanyahu and his government to pursue peace and security. 
the article goes on to say that a poll found that 26% of Israelis believe the government that was enlarged to include Yisrael Betenu leader Avigdor Lieberman will advance a diplomatic process, only 26%, while 61% believe it will not. The takeaway from just this first article is this. That is the whole sole goal, even with Israel. They want peace. They want security. They'll do anything, and indeed they will, in order to obtain said peace and security. They want peace. You talk to any Israeli today. In fact, you don't have to go to Israel. <laughs> Though if you want to, that's great. Let's, let's go. But uh, you can go to the mall. Go to Alamoana. A lot of them are Israelis, by the way, that have those kiosks. And I always know they are because they always look at me and <laughs> out of the corner of their eye. And I always like to play with them a little bit, just have some fun, you know, um, break the ice. <laughs> you know, so I'll say, Shalom. And they'll look at me like, and then I'll say, Ahlan wa sahlan. And then they know. And then uh, <laughs> we strike up a, a conversation and they're kind of surprised to know that they're talking to an Arab uh, who is pro-Israel. Uh, that's kind of rare in this uh, day and age. And I, I you know, share with them uh, God's love for them and my love for them, uh, for God's people. And um, uh, they don't know what to make of it. But uh, one of the uh, things that I, I find almost without exception is that every conversation I've had with an Israeli always comes down to one thing. We want peace. We'll do anything and we'll stop at nothing to have peace. We don't want war. <laughs> we want peace. Well, on Thursday, Ynet News reported that the U.S. had, not surprising, <laughs> expressed concern about the Lieberman appointment, suggesting that it raises legitimate questions about Israel's policy. Quoting the report, U.S. State Department spokesman Mark Toner said the opposition of some Israeli cabinet ministers to a Palestinian state alongside Israel raised, quote, legitimate questions about the direction of the Israeli policy. But, he said, the United States would judge the new government based on its actions. Oh, really? Oh, really? <laughs> the article went on to quote Netanyahu as saying, My government remains committed to pursuing peace with the Palestinians, pursuing peace with all our neighbors. My policy has not changed. We will continue to pursue every avenue, and here it is, for peace while ensuring the safety and security of our citizens. He said a broader and more stable government would make it easier to seize new opportunities in the region, a reference to potential peace moves with Arab states that share Israel's concern about Islamist militancy and Iran, a reference to Saudi Arabia, who only protests the Russian-Iranian alliance allied attack on Israel. Saudi Arabia is actually joining hands with Israel because of their fear of Iran and even Russia. Well, it seems that 
Netanyahu's argument for Lieberman's appointment is not very convincing, at least not enough, as evidenced by this Jerusalem Post report from yesterday, in which they go as far as saying that Netanyahu's government may be near a collapse because of this appointment, and this according to one report. Here's what the Jerusalem Post had to say. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's government may be on the verge of collapse, according to Israel's Channel 10. In a report Friday night, the TV station quoted unnamed party leaders saying that Netanyahu's surprise move, and it was a surprise, to bring the right-wing Yisrael Betenu party into the coalition may be backfiring on him. Um, I would just respectfully disagree. <laughs> Netanyahu is very intelligent and very strategic, and he knows what he's doing. Well, in addition to Lieberman's defense minister appointment, there was also a new addition to the Knesset. On Wednesday, breaking Israel news, very interestingly connected some prophetic dots in an article in which they ask, can newest Knesset member Yehuda Glick lead the nation to the Temple Mount? Listen to this. An unlikely series of events has brought Temple Mount rights activist Rabbi Yehuda Glick to the position of Likud's newest member of Knesset. Glick will bring a powerful voice to the Israeli government that may help move Israel towards a new era, listen, of serving God and bringing the Temple Mount to its proper place as a house of prayer for all nations? That's not what the proper place of the Temple Mount is. All nations? A, a, a house of prayer for all nations? Oh, it gets better. <laughs> Indeed, his role may even have been foreseen by the Bible. When breaking Israel news asked Glick how these bands affect him, he answered by reverently quoting his favorite verse of Psalms, indicating that he has no intention of giving up on his fight for freedom at the Temple Mount, even though he cannot visit himself. I believe in the Temple Mount as a house of prayer for all nations, a world center for peace. What? He explained to Breaking Israel News. Yehuda Glick's devotion to Jerusalem and his unlikely Knesset appointment carry all the signs of fulfilled prophecy. It is not every day that a headline can so closely resemble a biblical verse. Actually, it is. That's from a Jewish perspective. In this case, the new Likud appointment comes straight from the book of Zechariah, and I would agree with that. Where am I going with all of this? Well, it all comes down to Jerusalem and specifically the Temple Mount. Because we know, according to Bible prophecy, that the Temple Mount will be the place where all the world's religions will worship together as one under the Antichrist during the Tribulation. I found this Arut Sheva article from Thursday, 
May 19th, a week and a half ago, really fascinating. They reported about how an interfaith group is laying the groundwork for what will likely be the world's first ever joint house of prayer. They call it a synagogue, church, and mosque all in one. Now, (laughs) they go on to say the center of worship, which will be called the house of one, will combine simultaneous Jewish, Muslim, and Christian prayer services, and construction of the building is slated to begin next year. Now, I want you to think about this. Uh, And for those of you who have been to Israel with us, you are keenly aware of this. On Friday in Jerusalem, it's Islam. On Saturday in Jerusalem, it's Shabbat, the Jewish Sabbath. And on Sunday in Jerusalem, it's Catholicism, a form of Christianity. You already have all three of the world's largest religions central on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in Jerusalem. But when the Antichrist comes on the scene, he will allow the Jews to rebuild their temple where we don't know for sure. Some believe that it will be without disturbing the Dome of the Rock, the Mosque of Omar, and it will be on the outer courts where many of us, when we were there, stood. The temple could certainly be built there, and it would then stand to reason that you would have Islam, Judaism, and Christianity all right there under the Antichrist, exactly as this building, House of One, is going to be. Now, for those of you who might find it kind of hard to imagine and difficult to get your mind around how it is that three major world religions can come together in this way, you might want to consider this breaking Israel news report from Wednesday, in which Pope Francis met with the Grand Imam of Cairo's Al-Azhar Mosque at the Vatican. The article says, quote, they embraced, the Pope embraced his Sunni Muslim visitor in a sign of improved ties between the two religions. According to the Times of Israel, this historic meeting is the first between the leader of the Catholic world and Sunni Islam's highest authority to take place at the Vatican. Relations between the church and Islam have been growing steadily warmer since Pope Francis rose to position in 2013. Sheikh Ahmed Al-Taib's surprise meeting, another surprise, full of surprises, aren't we, with Pope Francis, announced only last week, began with hugs and kisses between the two leaders. Our meeting is the message, Vatican officials reported Pope Francis is saying. Our meeting is the message. Oh, really? That's the message your meeting sends? All the world's religions, namely Catholicism and Islam, joining hands, embracing one the other, exactly as we're told it will be at the time of the end, during the tribulation. And we're already seeing that which will ultimately be fulfilled in the tribulation beginning to come to pass pre-tribulation. Yes, yes. Even more stunning, and bear with me on this, because I happened upon this op-ed piece 
uh, that was in the Federalist. It was on Monday. It was written by Tom Nichols, who is a professor of national security affairs at the U.S. Naval War College and an adjunct professor in the Harvard Extension School. This is a must-read article. All you have to do, uh, especially for those of you online, just type in, the Iran deal wasn't about nukes at all. That's the title of it. The Iran... The Iran deal wasn't about nukes at all? Are you kidding me? <laughs> well, then what was it about? Oh, so glad you asked. So glad you asked. Indulge me briefly. This is some of what he writes. Remember the Iran deal? Of course you do. It was one of the greatest diplomatic agreements of our time. A last-ditch effort to stop Iran from acquiring a nuclear bomb and thus avert inevitable military action by the United States and its allies. <laughs> that was the narrative. That's what we were told, right? He goes on to say, anyone who doubted this narrative or raised almost any objections to the deal was just a hater. Maybe even a racist with a personal grudge against Barack Obama. Nichols goes on to write, the smug admissions by Ben Rhodes, we've talked about that the last couple of weeks, and others that the echo chamber was real and did its job are grading, but to focus on Rhodes spiking the football is to miss a more important question. Think about this. Why did everyone go to such lengths over a deal that was supposed to be so good? Rhodes, of course, says it's because everyone but the White House and its friends were too stupid to understand how smart the deal was. <laughs> the real answer, however, is as unsettling as it is simple, selling the deal required subterfuge and misdirection because the Iran deal was never about nuclear weapons. The White House and its supporters were set on two goals, one of them trivial, the other terrifying. The trivial objective was to give a failed presidency at least one foreign policy legacy item. That was to be expected since the Obama administration in permanent campaign mode since the day the president took office has presided over the worst American foreign policy in the modern era. The more stomach-churning objective is that the administration, as it turned out, really believed in its pledges to get America out of the Middle East and decided early on, listen to this, that the only way to do this was to replace the United States in the region with Russia and Iran. Wow. That explains everything. That explains everything. Now that makes sense. I get it now. That's why. That was the whole reason behind... It's not about nukes. It was about getting out of the Middle East under the banner of some...
foreign policy accomplishment for a failed presidency, and in place of the United States, Russia and Iran. Doesn't that make sense? Doesn't that answer questions like, why when we told Syria it's a red line, that it wasn't really a red line, it was an erased line, sort of a hint of mauve and pink, not quite red. <laughs> You'll forgive my silliness. Oh, oh, that's why. Oh, when Russia came in, we did nothing. Oh, that's why. When Iran boasts and, and threatens, oh, oh, that's why. That was the whole goal to begin with. Russia and Iran. And might I add, that goal has been accomplished. And that, my friends, is exactly what Ezekiel 38 tells us. Russia and Iran. I truly believe that we are today witnessing key Bible prophecies such as Zechariah 12 and, of course, Ezekiel 38 coming to pass. Coming to pass. When you peel back the geopolitical layers concerning Israel, Russia, Iran, et al., what you'll find is that specific prophetic scripture is being fulfilled in real time right before our very eyes. In other words, this is exactly what the Bible says will happen prior to the rapture of the church, which is prior to the seven-year tribulation. By the way, um, I got a call from Billy Crone. He's uh, another prophecy teacher uh, on the mainland. And he's going to be doing a documentary. In fact, he's coming here. Uh, and we're going to get together for this documentary because it is all about the pre-tribulation rapture, which is under such demonic and satanic attack like never before. Like never before the attack on the imminence of the rapture of the church of Jesus Christ, like never before, like never before. Well, let me just say, lastly, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I implore you to call upon him today and not put it off another day. I want to close with a simple explanation of how it is that you can be saved. And I want to use what Paul writes to the church in Rome. The first thing you must do is acknowledge that you're a sinner and that you're in need of the Savior. Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23 says, goes on to explain that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We were all born sinners, which is why we all need to be born again. Jesus in John 3 said, Unless a man, unless a woman is born again, they will never see the kingdom of God. Romans 5.12 says, Just as sin entered the world through one man, speaking of Adam, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned. 
Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. But, and this is the good news, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 tells us what we're to do. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And Romans 10:13, lastly, my favorite verse, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. All. Not some, not most. And will, not could, not might, will. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Why don't you stand? We're going to pray. If that's you here today, I implore you to call upon the Lord today. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for Bible prophecy. Thank you for the detail we have in Scripture describing for us what the world is going to look like prior to the rapture. Lord, as we look around, we see exactly what you said would happen happening. And Lord, it causes us to look up and lift up our heads knowing that our redemption draweth nigh. Lord, I pray for anyone who has never called upon you that today, believing in their heart and confessing with their mouth, they would call upon you and be saved today. Today. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you serious? Are you serious? Well, I'm going to get very serious with you. Good morning, everyone. Grab a Bible quickly. We're going to go to the book of Psalms, the book of Joel, and the book of Revelation. A couple of things to understand. The battle of Armageddon is coming. There's no question about that. And there's a lot of things that lead up to that great battle in the last days. Uh, we know that there's going to be a three-and-a-half-year period there where the Antichrist will rule this world without question. Uh, and at some point, Russia will make an invasion of Israel and, of course, breaking the peace agreement that will be signed in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verse 27, the covenant with many. This covenant is not just going to be between Israel and the Palestinians, but it will be with the entire world. It may be in the process of being about to be brought forward since we're finding out now that President Obama and uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin are teaming up to bring forth a resolution to come against Israel, all right, and to try to take the Golan Heights from Israel. They're going to try to use international law. They're, they're drafting a resolution that's going to be brought forth in Geneva, of all places, where the CERN is. So you don't think the demons are dancing over by the CERN. Uh, things are really happening. So anyway, let me just take you quickly. 
what will take place then is you're going to see this, uh, the process is beginning. The new world order is rising, and you're beginning to see, I never thought I would see this, but I am seeing it, uh, Obama and Putin coming together. They came together to create the Iranian nuke deal, and David Cameron come right along from the U.K., the French come along, Angela Merkel was right there from Germany, all right? So, and China, of course, will do anything they have to do if it relates to squelching Israel. So, I mean, listen, folks, and Benjamin Netanyahu is screaming. Now Netanyahu has to fight against Obama and Putin, and he's actually going to go to Russia this week to meet with Vladimir Putin in, in the Kremlin to try to stop Russia and America from trying to take the Golan Heights from Israel. I mean, it's unbelievable. Um, but if you'll go with me, eventually you're going to have a situation develop where there's going to be a great battle. The Bible speaks of it, the battle of Armageddon. Now, if you go to Psalms chapter 2, David prophesies that this great end-time battle is going to come. He says it in, this words, in these words, in Psalms chapter 2, verse 2. He says, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Let's break our relationships with the Lord's anointed or Israel in this instance. Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, and the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion, and I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto us, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So there's a prophecy from the book of Psalms talking about the kings of the earth saying that they're going to come against the nation of Israel. But the Lord is saying, I will laugh when they try this. Now, in the book of Joel, chapter 3, you'll also read a prophecy, again, of the great end-time battle that's going to take place when the kings of the earth, when the New World Order, when the Illuminati, uh, when the Antichrist, fully in position, they will come against Israel. Here's what it says in Joel chapter 3, verse 9. Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. This is Israel preparing to be attacked by many nations, the kings of war, the men of war. And the prophet Joel is saying, you're going to have to beat your plowshares into swords and turn your pruning hooks into spears. And let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble yourselves and come, all ye heathen, and gather yourselves together around about, hither, and cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Get this, speaking here about the angelic battle that's about to take place. Let the heathen be awakened 
and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put your sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Now we know in this great battle of Armageddon, the blood is going to flow to the horse's bridle. For 200 miles, there will be blood flowing. It will take seven months to bury the dead uh, in one place in the book of uh, Ezekiel. Uh, in the great battle of Gog and Magog, it refers to it as seven months to bury the dead and seven years to dispose of all the weapons. And it says multitudes in the valley, multitudes and multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision, the great valley where the final decisions are going to be made, where the great war, uh, where the buzzards of the earth are going to congregate. And uh, matter of fact, here's what will else happen. The sun and the moon shall be darkened. The stars shall withdraw their shining. And the Lord also shall roar of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth shall shake but the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel this is going to happen according to the book of Psalms and the book of Joel the great end time battles that are coming upon the earth now if you go with me to the book of Revelation for a moment to the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation, we'll read what the Lord also prophesied is about to take place. And uh, it's quite amazing when you start reading in the scriptures about the battles that are coming. I, I, I uh, understand that uh, if you go with me, first of all, to Revelation 16, I would like to read this scripture in verse 12. This is Revelation 16:12, And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. A lot of folks see this as biblical prophecy of an invasion process of China and their 200 million man army. But look what it goes on to say. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles, even go forth unto the kings of the earth, uh, of the whole world. These, the kings of the earth, the leaders of the world, will be manipulated by the three unclean spirits, demons like frogs, coming out of the mouth of the dragon, which is Lucifer, out of the mouth of the beast, which is, of course, going to be the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, which will be his sidekick. And they will, uh, these are going to come, and for they are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And then Jesus speaks and says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together 
into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. All right, folks, the great battle of Armageddon is coming, of course, and you're already beginning to see the beginning process. Well, to get there, you have to have a new world order. You have to have a one world government led by an antichrist, which you can read about in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, the, the son of perdition, the wicked one, the lawless one who will rise up with great power and can perform miracles and he'll, he'll, he literally will mesmerize the kings of the earth as these three unclean spirits will come and begin to manipulate the rest of the world to turn on Israel. So when I'm watching, what I'm watching is the manipulation has already begun. The kings are being manipulated by the spirit of darkness. I'm also watching the formation of the beast system, the new world order. I'm also noticing that as it's pulling together, Israel is being isolated, constantly isolated. I got one more thing to show you. Iran, here's an article that's in the Crusader Journal that says, Iran vows to defend the Islamic nations against Israel. Iran vows to defend the Islamic nations against Israel. Are you serious? Are you serious? Israel's not the aggressor. So what do you mean against Israel? And there's a picture of Iran's President Hassan Rouhani and Russian President Vladimir Putin. Uh, Iran's President Hassan Rouhani said yesterday he vowed to defend Muslim countries against terrorism and Israel. Just throw Israel in there. For what, for what reason? All right. Speaking during a National Army Day parade, he was quoted as saying, if tomorrow your capitals face danger from terrorism or Zionism, the power that will give you a positive answer is in the Islamic Republic of Iran. The power of our armed forces is not against our southern, northern, eastern, and western neighbors. The Iranian National Army Day Parade also showcased sophisticated air defense systems recently acquired from Russia. And President Rouhani also praised Iran's role in helping the Syrians and the Iraqi governments roll back the Islamic State. Folks, this is crazy, but this is the time we're living in. The kings of the earth are being manipulated by the Antichrist spirit that's already moving in the land. Give your life to Jesus Christ. We're living in the last days. We're running out of time. Don't be left behind. Hi, guys. About three weeks ago, I had a dream from the Lord. And I just kind of put it on a shelf and uh, just been chewing on it, talking to the Lord and thinking about it. And... Uh, the Lord has really been speaking to me a lot through dreams lately. I went through a period where He didn't at all, hardly, hardly at all, and uh, but I was receiving a lot of uh, prophetic flows from the Lord during that time, and now it seems that the prophetic flows have slowed down a lot. And uh, but He's speaking to me often through dreams. Um, this one is kind of, even though it's a very short dream. It's uh, kind of intense, and I believe it has a lot of implications. And uh, so I was, you know, just trying to take my time and 
understand what the Lord was saying, but I'm going to go ahead and share that dream with you now. Um, in this dream, I was in um, a concentration camp, and the concentration camp was beside a river. I was on a concrete pad, and there was other women with me on this concrete pad. And over our head, it was a concrete pad with um, a roof covering over it. It was open, but it was covered. There was three booths on the concrete pad, and each of the booths had uh, a woman in each booth. These women were there to give information to us, but we knew that their information could not be trusted, that everything that they said to us was lies. Some young women came from another section of the grounds that we were on, Some a building. They came from a building, and they came across a lawn down to the bank of the river, and they began throwing their babies into the river. They all had a baby, and they were throwing their, their children into the river. Um, I was having a conversation with these other ladies, and we were just trying to figure out what was going on while we were there and uh, what was going to happen to us. A lady came into our group that had just finished speaking uh, with one of the ladies at the booth. And she said, she told the group that the woman told her that in a few minutes there was going to be an execution but that we should not worry about that because it was not people, it was animals that were being executed. But we all agreed that that was not the truth, that indeed that it was people. And one of the women said, yes, and we're probably next. And right after that, we heard um, gunshots going off. And that was it. I woke up. Well, I had to ask the Lord, you know, Lord, is this is this dream to be taken literally or is it to be taken symbolically? And I believe that it's both. I do know that this dream is talking about a time of literal concentration camps, uh, death camps. I believe that the three women represented the false authority, the false trinity, the antichrist, the beast, and the false prophet spoken of in Revelation 12. We know that we are in the last days and we know that that um, the new one, the, the, the uh, false one world order it's coming together. It's uh, rising up. Satan is hard at work in the earth. And he's working in all forms. Uh, he's working He's working through family to tear the family down with the homosexual agenda in just all different kinds of ways. Just tearing the family apart in just so many different ways. Um... He's working through religion to bring, you know, the false religion, the worship of false gods 
and tearing down, working hard within the church to tear down Christianity, to uh, to make it something that God has not made it to be, to take truth out, to fill the church full of uh, doctrines of demons, to take away the power of the church, the truth of the church, and to put the church into bondage. I think that that's a lot um, what this dream is talking about. I believe that the women in the church, I mean the women in the dream, represents the church on one hand and in one way. We know that women in the Bible, in Ephesians, I think it's chapter 5, Paul talks about um, the man representing Christ and the woman in a marital relationship representing the church. So the woman is a type of the church. So I believe that that you know that the one that the reason it was just women in this dream that it was represented representing the church. It was representing uh, God's people. We know that Satan hates us and wants to destroy us. He hates all humanity, but he's going to try to destroy the church first. We know that the church is going to come under great persecution. You know, I think about in the Bible when um, Moses was being was being born. You know, when it was time for him to be born, and uh, Satan incited uh, the Egyptian rulers against the Jewish people because they were becoming too powerful, too many, and too powerful. And they were afraid of them. And so they uh, were making them cast their babies, the male babies, to be exact, into the water. And that was to, to kill the seed of Moses, the deliverer. And then we know that in Jesus' day, again, that happened. That the babies were killed because they knew that the, that the deliverer is coming. And I believe that this dream is speaking is speaking in so many different ways but I believe that it is speaking about those God's army those even that have been born in our generation this generation the ones that are called we're all called but those who are going to choose to be chosen and to be a part of God's army that army when it's in unity with Christ will be like Christ in the earth, walking in the same anointing, the same power. Remember, Christ laid down his deity, and when he was on the earth, he was here as a man. And uh, God is raising up. But when we're in unity with God, we walk in that same anointing, that same power, that same authority that Christ walked in, and Satan is afraid. Because he knows that we're at the end of a season, we're at the end of an age, that his time is short, it's almost over. And I believe that, that yes, that you know that God is speaking to me about how Satan is onslaught in this generation. He always has, but like never before, in every single way, to kill, to steal, to destroy, to take over, to inhabit people, to take over. And guys, I thought about this dream. I thought about the concentration camp, even though I know that there will be literal concentration camps 
in the last days, especially when the one world order, the false one, takes over for its short time. Of course, there's going to be much death, and Christians, for sure, will be at the top of that list to be murdered. But uh, for what Christians are here, I can't say for sure if the church will have been taken away, caught up to meet Christ in the air at that point. I'm not absolutely sure of that. Uh, there will be, I believe that there will still be people being born again even after that takes place. So, you know, I'm not sure about the time and I don't know how much persecution we'll have to go through. I know that we're going to have to go through a lot. Christians are already going through a lot in certain parts of the earth and we're going to continue to go through a lot. But here's the thing. The enemy is wanting to destroy, to stop the rising up of the sons and daughters of God, the ones that God is going to use in these last days to tear down and to destroy the works of the devil here in the earth. And so, yes, it you know it it is truly like babies being symbolically it's like. Okay, first the concentration camp is like a demonic um, bondage. That's what it's like. And the more, you know, Satan is just filling this generation plump full of demons. I'm talking about those that, that don't know God, those that, that do not belong to God. Guys, those, those, those people, they're going to come to know Christ, but they're still going to have those demons are going to have to be cast out you know they, they don't just say oh well okay he got saved I'm gone no those demons have to be cast out but but even setting the Christians aside uh, Satan's plot and his plan is takeover is to is to indwell and to, uh, to infill people with demons and to, to to the point of possession completely taken over and, and that's the way it is in a concentration camp. You have no free will left. All of your free will is taken away from you. And I believe that this dream is a also a prophetic picture of that. And the Lord has talked to me much about that, Satan's plan, and the things that he's doing to, uh, to infill and to indwell people with many demons. And I'm not, again, I'm not talking about the church. I'm not talking about Christians. I'm talking about people that do not know God. To indwell them and to infill them so that he can take them over. So that he can have, so that they will be in complete unity, complete oneness with him. Remember I told you that Satan is counterfeit. Everything you see God doing in the kingdom of light, Satan's doing it in the kingdom of darkness. Twisted, perverted, counterfeit versions, but he's mimicking God, okay? He's bringing his army into complete unity, into complete oneness with him by taking over them. Now, there's lots of people in Satan's kingdom, whether they realize they are or not, they are, that they want to, you know, they want to do this. They want, they believe, they've been deceived, and it is deception. They've been deceived into believing that, that Satan's going to win this thing and they're going to have a special place in his kingdom in the earth because they're working with him, united with him to bring about his one world government 
That's what it's all about. It's bringing about that one world government and getting rid of, what's the word? Depopulation. Getting rid of everyone who will not come under Satan's rule. Okay? And that's, that's Christians because we believe that there is one way to the Father and that is Jesus Christ. And we will not bow down. We will not surrender to any one world order, even if it seems to be, uh, uh, even if it seems to be one of peace and unity and all this good stuff. Which that's what's going to appear in the beginning. But like in this dream, that's what that false. I mean, that's what the concrete pad and uh, uh, the roof over our heads. That's what that was. It was a false, a false foundation and false protection. So guys, we can learn a whole lot of things from this. And I know that we all have the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God is going to lead us and guide us. But we can't put our hope or our trust in the government. We have to, because I want to tell you, the government is full of Satan's army. Yes, God's army is there too. But yes, our government is full of uh, not just the, the American government, but every single government on the face of the earth. Satan has his people everywhere, and I started going over that a while ago. I'm going to hit on that again. He has people, his army is working to tear down families, so in the realms where they can affect and impact family, and that's really all the realms, but in the realm of religion, in the realm of government, in the realm of media, and boy, that's huge, right? Entertainment, huge. Satan has his army, and guys, we see the darkness. It's getting so dark, and uh, Satan's army is rising up, and it's time for the, I smile because as I was thinking about that, I'm thinking about the rising of the sons and the daughters of the Most High God. Amen. We are rising. The sons and the daughters of the Most High are rising. It is your time. It is my time. It's our time. But we have to understand this. We have to understand who we are. And I know that God is awakening people. He's awakening people to this truth that are not born again and they've been in the kingdom of darkness. And uh, and, he, and he's, guys, I've had, I've had especially youth coming to me recently who God, God revealed himself to them and they accepted him and they know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is Lord because he revealed that to them himself. They have no foundation for knowing or understanding that. They were not taught that in their family. They come from broken homes, broken families where they are not taught about God, but the Lord is revealing himself to them. But here's the thing, when they come, they have absolutely no truth. They have no foundation of the Word of God. And they have all of this demonic stuff that's been coming to them through all these gateways. Right, and so they they um, they have a lot of they have a lot of this a lot of deception, but we have to be patient with them. We have to be loving, and we have to recognize who they are. That God is going to use them. He's going to use them powerfully and mightily as part of His end time army. So the mothers and the fathers, we have to be patient. We have to teach them truth. They already know that Jesus Christ is Lord. They've given their hearts to Him, but they're confused about a lot of things because they have a lot of uh, lies, deceptions from the world that's on the inside of them. But anyway, some other ways, guys, that Satan works 
is through education. He has his army all in education. And all of this is working together to bring about the false one world order and the false Christ, the Antichrist in business, in technology, in medicine, really in every facet. Satan has his army there working as one with him to bring about his agenda in the earth for a takeover, for a, a total takeover of earth, of all the inhabitants of earth. But right now, it's, you know, he's working for a takeover on an individual level. And that is, that is um, possession, being possessed. You know, taking over their mind uh, through lies and deceptions and then, and how, you know, opening up all the gateways, the doors, and it demons inhabiting them so that there's many and there's strong demons and they're able to take over. That is Satan's, Satan's stealing, stealing God's seed and destruction, using them for destruction. But guys, I just want to tell you, Satan has a plan, that's true. And the Lord is reminding me of, you know, what the enemy is up to. But more than anything from this, I'm reminded of what God is up to, that God is raising up a mighty army of God. But guys, we got to know that the church has been so weak and has not had a lot of truth. And because of that, the church is weak and ineffective, but God's doing a mighty work. He's doing a mighty work, and um, and he is. He's he's uh, he's teaching, and he's using teachers, pastors, apostles, prophets. He is that are walking with him and hearing him to teach, to train, to equip for the maturing of the saints, to bring the saints into their full maturity for all who will learn and will grow. And God is going to use us. But here here's the here's the thing. God's army is vast, just like Satan's army is a vast army. Guys, God wants us in in all these areas. You know, and some people, and I know it's just demonically inspired, will tell us that, you know, oh, we, you know, there shouldn't be no, you know, religion in in uh, all these different areas in politics and all of that. But I, I'm telling you what, Satan's agenda is all up in it. And so we need God's heart and God's light and God's agenda all up in everything, right? Restoration has to come. Uh, the light has to, has to shine within all these different areas. And so God is calling you, me, each one of us. We have giftings and callings upon our life and you may not be called to be a preacher you may not be called to be a teacher in the church realm I mean or, or an apostle in the church realm or a prophet but guys I believe that God is going to have prophets in in the government I know he does he does and he is he's going to have prophets in in government prophets in media prophets in entertainment Satan does think about some of the prophets that Satan has in media, in, in entertainment, speaking, speaking deception, speaking lies, speaking evil, wickedness, all kinds of things. Think about the entertainers. What are they doing? They are prophesying for for Satan. They're making disciples for Satan. 
but God wants you to know that he can use you in a powerful way as a prophetic voice in the entertainment field, in the in media, in government, in education, in business, in technology, in medicine, in the arena of family. God, you can be a prophet for the Lord and not, not be a prophet for the Lord in the church, but in the special area that God has called you to. Or a pastor, a pastor to shepherd, an evangelist, an evangelist in media, evangelist in entertainment, an evangelist in education, an evangelist in business, technology, medicine. Do you understand what I'm saying? Just be, you know, you're called you're called to be a part of God's army, and there's all different. But your calling may be so different from mine. Maybe God has called you to impact the business world. Maybe God has called you to impact government, to impact media. Guys, here's the thing. I know that we're coming to an end of an age. We don't know how much longer we have. None of us knows for sure. The Bible made that clear that we don't know how much longer we have. But I tell you what. We already know who's going to who's going to end who's going to win this. But let me tell you, in Jesus Christ, he paid the price on the cross. He already defeated Satan. See, everybody out there needs to understand. I know, you know, the Christians do. You understand that that Jesus already fought and won this battle at the cross. And now the battle rages on for the souls of man. So you might say, well, it's almost over. Why don't we need to try to infiltrate government, media, entertainment, education, business, technology, medicine, with God's heart, with God's message, with God's love, with God's power, because it's for the souls of man. Guys, it's not over till it's over. Now listen, we should all be ready. We should all be ready to be caught up to meet Jesus in the air. But until that happens, you're part of an army. You have a job to do. God has called you to something. He's called you to bring forth the kingdom of God and be light and salt in the earth in some arena. It may not be the church. Maybe you're trying to be a prophet in the church when God's called you to be a, a prophet in, in the entertainment industry or in government or in business. Maybe, you know, you know, you're trying to be a pastor in the church and God hasn't called you to be a pastor in the church. But he's called you to be a pastor, a true shepherd in one of these other fields. God needs his people everywhere speaking his truth. And I know God is already doing it. But the reason I'm speaking these things is to, is to help people just to understand. To help, Maybe you don't understand, you know, your calling, your purpose that God has for you. The way that he wants to use you. To advance the kingdom, to bring souls into the kingdom, to set people free. Guys, we've been called to cast out demons. We've been called to preach, to teach, to speak truth. And yes, it takes God it takes time. It takes time for God to prepare us. But I just want to let you know that many people are already in concentration camps. They're there right now. I don't mean literal, I mean spiritual. Satan has them bound up. Satan is already, guys, people are already 
The babies are already being murdered. Think about abortion in many other ways. People are already being abused, neglected. There's so much injustice. And God has called us to bring forth righteousness and trample upon injustice. To be truth speakers. To be light. To be the hands and the feet of God. That's what he's calling us to do. And he's calling us to do it in so many ways. So we're not going to sit around and be afraid of that day when there's real concentration camps. And and the Christians, you know, have not listened to God or whatever. Maybe they have. But they're being carted off to these places. They're putting their faith in the government. And they're being carted off to these places to be murdered. And is that going to happen? Probably. Because let's think about those that are already incarcerated. They're already in demonic concentration camps. They're already being tortured and killed and tormented. And God has called us, His army, to make a difference. Well, guys, that's all I have. For right now, God bless you. I love you. I'm praying for you. Bye-bye. This is Lisa Haven, and I've got a very important report to share with you today, specifically in regards to peace talks between Israel and Palestine. Now, I've always promised you guys that anytime these two start having some sort of peace conversation, I would bring it to the forefront. And that's what I'm doing today. Now, here's what's happening. Uh, on May 30th, which was yesterday, there was a planned summit Uh, in which 20 different ministers from 20 different countries were going to meet together, and it included uh, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and Jordan, among those or among others. But this meeting was supposed to take place yesterday, the summit. However, it has been pushed till sometime in June. We don't have a date yet, at least uh, not at this time. It could be later on in the summer, uh, simply because John Kerry could not attend the event. Interesting. But uh, nonetheless, there's a little more cards in play with that on the table. But guess what the agenda is? They want to push a two-state solution, one Israeli, one Palestinian, with a shared capital, Jerusalem. They're going to share Jerusalem. Don't quite see how that's going to work because of the tension uh, that is constantly on the brink between those two countries. Now, the reason that I think this is a crucial report because uh, if we're looking at some sort of other peace treaty being signed, well, we know biblically speaking, there's a seven-year peace deal or peace treaty that the Antichrist signs with the nation of Israel uh, in order to bring peace. And so anytime that there's talk of some kind of treaty, I want to bring that to the forefront and just ask the question, could this be the seven-year treaty? Well, truth be told, only time is going to tell if it's seven years or not seven years or even if they sign the deal. Now, I know this, that they have been talking about the two-state solution for quite some time now. So this is something they're really pushing forward. And the funny thing is, no peace treaty has lasted thus far. Not sure why this one will. Well, anyhow, let's delve in to those reports. 
All right, so here is the first report, and I'm going to leave a link for this below, but it's on www.virtualjerusalem.com. And you can, say, you can see here a recent report, France announces May 30th Israeli-Palestinian peace talks. Ministers from 20 countries will meet in Paris to force, key word there, peace talks on Israel, although Israel and Palestinian authorities are not invited. That is the key thing here. Here they're going to have a talk between all these leaderheads about two countries that aren't even welcome in the peace talks. Interesting report. Not only that, but there's also this one, and this is from France24.com. Uh, Paris Israeli-Palestinian Peace Conference postponed. Now, like I said before, it was originally planned for May 30th. It has been postponed, uh, they say, until maybe the summer or sometime in June. The reason for the postponement, as you'll see if you read through this report, well, because John Kerry was not in, was not able to make it. Uh, now, the report goes on to detail or speculate that the reason that John Kerry did not come or want to come to the event, uh, they don't know which, I guess, is because they don't want France involved in the peace talks, and uh, America kind of wants to take the head on that. Interesting, because we all know that Obama is a Muslim at heart. He is a uh, Muslim to the core. So I can only imagine how that entire deal will go down. So we'll just have to wait and see how that whole thing plays out. So there you have it, more peace talks on the table for Israel and Palestine. I'm keeping an, a special eye on this and watch because we know the Bible talks about a seven-year treaty. We know that the Antichrist will sign the deal between the two. And what we'll be looking at, well, seven-year tribulation. This is definitely huge if it ends up being a seven-year deal and if it even goes through. Uh, if it's three years, five years, it means nothing. Uh, or if it's just another, you know, quick deal on the table, it means nothing. But nonetheless, it's something to keep an eye on, prophetically speaking. Now with that, if you are not prepared with food, please get prepared with food. Um, I personally use foodforliberty.com backslash haven. This is uh, what their product actually looks like here. It comes in uh, this, but they, you know, they, they prepackage them in, in, in bags and uh, last for, I believe, 25 year shelf life on that. So get prepared with food. It is crucial in the time that we live in with uh, us being on the brink of war, us being on the brink. Uh, I'm going to get into a report tomorrow or, or maybe uh, later today about the sun and how the sun is really there's some strange happenings on the sun, and uh, I'm still digging into that, but it's definitely um, crazy stuff. But we know, biblically speaking, again, that tribulation period is on the brink, so obviously it could be linked. So get prepared. Uh, not only that, but um, keep yourself healthy. We don't know exactly the timing on anything. Uh, so use I use Life Change Tea for that. They've got a great detox tea there uh, that I personally love. There's also, as well, not just the tea, but there's also um, joint aid pills and uh, blood purifiers, all great stuff that I highly recommend. Anyhow, thanks again for tuning in, and don't forget to check out my partners, GetTheTea.com and FoodForLiberty.com backslash Haven. <laughs> thanks again for tuning in. This is Lisa Haven signing off. 
Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. This is Minister Paul, a watchman on the wall, and it's 531.16 at 11.26 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. As requested, I am going to do the full summary from day one to today, day 27, a full summary compilation of all that was received while laying out prostrate before the Lord, interceding. We'll begin with day one and go right up to the end of today, and we will continue to pray every day. I want to be doing this every day, and I hope and pray that those who are able can join me. As I, as I put this together, I was literally amazed at how good God is to warn us of these things in advance and back them up with his word. I'm also going to create a playlist of all the videos that pertain to this urgent intercession and then just start adding each day if something is revealed add that video to the playlist so they can all be sorted in one group and as after I upload this I will put a link to that playlist because there's so many scriptures there's too many to list you can go reference the scriptures from the day because the day is put in every title of every video so we started this on uh, Day 1 on May 5th, 2016, it began as an urgent pressing in, and on day 3, I understood the importance of pressing in because a, a spirit of confusion uh, was bound up as I began to name, use the name of Yeshua. And then on day 5, I had a vision, a Bible flies open right to the destruction of Babylon. On day six, I saw a tidal wave judged for not repenting. Israel, Undoff, if everybody wants to research some of these keywords, Undoff, I'd never heard of it, Nebraska. On day seven, I saw Wormwood and I heard Babylon on fire. On day eight, I saw a man climbing a mountain and it turned into a volcano and erupted and I was shown Mesopotamia and I heard the word spark and, and, it, and it's amazing it's because I did see a man climb a volcano just recently in Parrish I don't know if that has anything to do with it but it's in the news on day 9 I saw Jesus coming from heaven and then I saw men dancing in fire and then it turned into total darkness on day 10, I saw angels flying, and they were fighting for us. I saw a red planet, and I heard, I am coming, I lift you up. On day 11, I heard Jesus say, Why do you see yourself as such a sinner? I have called you from your mother's womb. And I just instantly felt like complete, you know, and this is for all of us. We're our own worst critics because of the false accusations of the enemy. On day 12, I saw the number 23, clear as day, and a mighty whirlwind. And then I saw the nation of Israel in a solar eclipse. And I saw a huge gate opening, and then a mighty river rushed out of it. On day 13, I saw the same man that was climbing the volcano. This is the third time I've seen him. And he was a dark shadow growing taller and taller. And then I saw a hard rainfall from the sky like rocks. 
I saw a bright light, and then the earth began to shake. And I heard, why do my children fight amongst each other when the enemy is at hand? On day 14, I saw a beautiful bright white star, and I heard, quote, Are there not 12 hours in a day? Serve me with your heart, not just your lips. Seek the Lord while he may be found. And then darkness lifted off the entire prayer room, and I suddenly felt like I was a part of one huge body uh, with others who were praying all over the world, and it was awesome. It was awesome. It was awesome. I, I experienced like the feeling of being the body of Christ, and I literally felt other people praying with me. It was a mighty day of breakthrough. On day 15, I heard, Warn my people, all things are being fulfilled as written. I am He. And then I saw seven ships. They were sinking one by one like dominoes uh, forward first and just sinking into the water. Someone suggested these might indicate submarines. I'm not sure on that. I can only share what I saw. And then I saw the Mediterranean Sea off the, the coast and Mesopotamia. And again, the Syrian desert area. And I heard the word Sychar. Sychar. Amazing. And then we did a bunch of research on Sychar. I'll put a link to all these videos here in the playlist. Day 16. I asked Jesus why he was so high in the sky because, you know, such a loving Savior sometimes, and can anybody uh, uh, bear witness on this? He seems like he's a, mile, a million miles away. And I asked him, like, why did he, you know, have to set his throne up so far? away from us here on earth even though you know he's in our heart and right in front of us but I asked him why he set his throne up there and he said because I place myself far above all principalities and powers I am above all and it was a powerful revelation <clears throat> and then I was shown our prayers being heard and answered. And then I saw seven sheep in green grass, and the grass they were eating withered brown and died. And I saw a shepherd over the seven sheep, and he turned into a dark shadow. And then I saw seven ships dive into the water into an evil abyss, and they continued all the way down to the entrance of hell. And on day 16, I saw seven bright puffy clouds and they suddenly turned dark and then I saw seven dogs and they were at peace and but then they suddenly began to fight and devour each other and then I saw a bright white flash and people vanished and there were many people that remained down there and some of them uh, began to turn dark they turned dark and then I heard quote a great separation is coming those outside the walls of the gate and I heard, do not fear persecution, but rather rejoice in it. And then on day 17, the Holy Spirit rained down on the secret prayer room I was in, and I saw a huge bald eagle flying very high and proud, and then I saw a ground missile flying upward towards it. I saw the blood of Jesus covering an older white church while people were throwing stones at it. I felt the atmosphere turn cold, and I saw Numbers 23, the chapter, and I heard this. They will revert back to their sacrifices, and then I saw the nation of Turkey. Day 18. 
I saw seven idol statues fall forward to the ground, face forward like dominoes, one by one. And then I saw seven mountains in the way of the one true church, and the mountains began to crumble one by one, and I heard, incline thy ear, incline thy ear. I was shown a woman full of seven evil spirits, and then I saw seven eyes, and then I saw three stars, and I heard, quote, are you ready for your double portion? Then I saw a white dove flying off to the right, and then it descended down. On day 19, I was at the throne of heaven. I was bowing before Jesus, and I saw rows and rows of people bowing with me, all to the left and the right. The people were bowing everywhere in rows. And Jesus said, Weep no more. I have prepared a place for you. And it came forward from the one who sits on the throne. And then I saw the face of Jesus, just his face, the first time ever, such brilliant eyes and a bright, brilliant light. And then seven planes representing seven principalities over seven nations. And I heard, quote, prepare for spiritual bombardment. And on day 20, I saw, I saw bright red everywhere, spreading like a fire. And it turned into a red horse, and I heard, a battle rages. Trust me. Then I saw a white door swing wide open from the mighty breath of God, and I saw a scroll open up, and I heard, quote, I will give you an answer that no man will be able to dispute. And then I saw one angel, very bright and very tall, and he was radiating with power, and he said, there is work to be done. On day 21, I heard, quote, we must count the cost to make up the hedge. And I saw Jesus glowing pure white far above all in holiness. And people were on the ground praying on their knees everywhere around the world. And the people praying were also bright white. And I heard Jesus say, quote, today is a day of completion. This was on May 23rd and 24th. And then uh, uh, 25 right here. And then I began to scream, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I was screaming it loudly, Jesus, 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 fervently. And he said, I am right here. <laughs> and I busted out laughing with so much joy. And I was like, why am I shouting when he's right in front of me? And it was just an amazing day of joy. He still gives us joy. And then I saw these walls fall down. They were like walls in Israel. They were real tall walls, and they fell down. And as they fell down, a mighty rushing water began to pour out of them. It's 11.37 a.m. And on day 22, I heard, quote, the spirit of Sodom. Please check this. Deuteronomy 22.5. God says that a man should not dress as a woman. Or a woman as a man because it is an abomination to him I saw seven candlesticks it was a Jewish menorah and it flashed bright white and a brilliant white dove flew out of it directly towards us and, and I was instructed to take communion in memory of him and not in memorial of this world and then I saw or man and then I saw seven trees 
And this was a very powerful day. I remember it like it just happened. But only So there were seven trees, but only three of them were bearing good fruit. And the three trees suddenly became one big tree. And then a hedge of fire was placed around the one tree bearing good fruit by God. And then I saw a bright red 911, and I heard this, go tell my people. And then on day 23 and 24, I heard Jesus say, quote, do you believe your sins are forgiven? And this is for those doubting. And I said, yes, Lord. See, this is faith. And then he said, well, then forget not my benefits, bind them to your heart and mind. Forget not my benefits, bind them to your heart and mind. And I heard spiritual environments are shifting. I saw a red circle like a planet descending to a green earth, which I now know to be the East Coast, and Nibiru, or Wormwood as I call it. And then I saw a dark hole in the sun. And then later that day or the next day it was announced that NASA did find a dark hole in the sun, like 55 times the size of earth. And then I heard Babylon Empire, and I saw seven continents, and I later learned that there are only seven continents, so I saw the whole earth separated by seven continents. And then I saw an amber pen draw a line in the sand, and I heard urgent, urgent, urgent. That was 528.16, three days ago. And then I saw 12 kings bowing before one king. And on day 26, I saw a red seven, and I drew this out. And then another big red seven that drawn itself into the seven. And then a third red seven drawn into it. And the three sevens began to spin out of control like a whirlwind. And then I saw the number 44. And I heard judgment. And then I saw the number 37 written in blood. And I heard, go tell my people. And on day 27 today, I heard the word stagnant. And I looked up the definition for it. And it says, of a body of water or the atmosphere of a confined space, having no current or flow, and often having an unpleasant smell as a consequence. And then I heard brother against brother. And I'll, there, there's a whole video on this. And then I saw worldwide chaos as if the earth had tilted. And I saw Ezekiel 3. And I saw a fake alien invasion, which were demons shooting laser lights down on earth to destroy things. And I saw Antioch in Turkey, in Sinai, in Egypt. And then I saw the Red Sea and the Mediterranean Sea again. And I saw Galatians 2, and I heard, Whoa, 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 wilderness of sin. And then I was led to Matthew 11:20. And then I saw Jesus crowned with glory on a beautiful white horse with a sword in his hand leaving heaven. And then I saw seven plagues and seven angels, and I heard, quote, write my words down, many shall run to and fro. And then I saw Revelation 15, and then, I, and then Samuel 2, and then I heard, is this not a brand plucked from the fire, which is Zechariah 3. And I am going to continue to do this every single day as part of my walk with Christ until he brings me home. If you can and are able to join me, you don't have to lay out. You can sit down, 9.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 12.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. God bless you all. Shalom. To God be the glory and praise. 
I would like to share to all of you the dream that I posted last time, probably uh, 2015 or 14. My dream about uh, God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And the Lord led me to share this again uh, to all those people who actually haven't uh, watched that video. And uh, for those who haven't uh, been born again, this is very important. And so anyway, in my dream, you know, after I was, uh, after the whole family were baptized, I had a dream that uh, in my dream, I saw, I just turned, you know, I just turned around and I said, God, that's the word, I said God. And then I saw God, the Father, in a spirit form. He's like, um, um, it's like a clear a clear glass of liquid, like a, a flowing, moving, a clear glass. And then after that, it just came close to me and just enveloped me, cover my, cover my whole being. And then in, when it went through me, I felt this different sensation, different feeling. It's like overwhelming peace, joy love that oh my it's indescribable all i know is i started like started crying i was in total tears it's like um it's like when you lost you lost somebody and then you found it you found somebody you love and you found them um you you know the tears of joy it's overwhelming it's it's indescribable feeling, but you have that joy, calming peace. Uh, you're so relaxed, and at the same time, the, the joy is overwhelming. And then when it went through me, when the Holy Spirit went through me, my hand just lifted up like that, and I started to praise God. I started to praise God, and I started to sing. But there's no words. It's just like humming. It's like, the thing that I notice is I don't breathe at all. It's continuous humming of praise. And then as I praise God, my body is swaying like a flower, right and left, front and back swaying and at the same time remember i was telling you i was crying right and at the same time i was giggling because as my body i felt like i'm a grass or a flower being blown by the wind that i started swaying right and left front and back and then i i started to giggle so my eyes are overflowing with tears and at the same time my body was swaying, so I was giggling at the same time. And so, but my mind, my mind is thinking, you know, I'm still aware of what's going on around because the scenario was in my church. And then suddenly, as I was, you know, as I was praising God, I heard people on the background saying, she is speaking in tongues. And so, I just realized that's the speaking of tongue the Lord gave me. So I started to praise and praise Him. And so as as I 
go on. I keep on swaying, giggling, and crying at the same time. I saw Jesus on my far right. He was like standing inside this window, like a window frame only. There's no wall or anything, but I saw him inside the window. And then he was standing there. And so I was still... I was still singing and humming, and I'm looking at the window, and in my mind, I'm saying, wow, that's Jesus, and I'm so excited to see him, and then I look at on my left side, there you go, I saw a very tall and huge white angel, his wings, you know, his wings was, he was like, you know, when I'm standing like this right now, I'm looking at my 10 foot uh, wall. He's actually like 20 or so uh, feet high. And then I was looking at him. He's so tall. And his wings, he was like standing straight like that. And he looked so tough. And his wings were down like that, uh, you know, downward. So, so nice. You can see the feather and everything so white. And I was just so tickled. And then after that, I was seeing the scenario in the church, uh, in my church, and then after uh, after that dream, you know, I'm seeing that time the 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 previous church that I used to go to, I saw that uh, the the pastor, you know, because the Lord wants me to share uh, who God is and the importance of how is it to be born again in order for us to receive the Holy Spirit. And to have, you know, to have a closer relationship with God and Jesus. But then, uh, he won't allow me. Instead, he invited people to entertain the church people. And the church people who saw, and saw me speaking in tongue, who were excited to listen to that, they were diverted and enjoyed, uh, you know, the, the show that the pastor was showing. That day when I woke up, I actually is supposed to email that pastor about the dream, but then I said, no, I'm going to share it to him when I go to church. So I actually told him, and then uh, the topic was about God, who God was, who God is, and then I'm supposed to, the Holy Spirit was actually raising my hand, and I wanted to share. So after the church, I told him that the Lord is leading me to share who God is, which is the topic of the gospel for the day. But he didn't allow me the third time i told him again um during the party because we had a party that day and he didn't allow me again instead he actually invited um um a mind reader like uh we're doing like a psychic kind of thing and then we left that place and um and so that's it so anyway what is the point of this dream so the point of this that the Lord is trying to share to us right now is the importance of being baptized and to receive the Holy Spirit. When you go to Acts 2 verse 38 to 39, Peter said to them, Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. So while the Lord is speaking to you right now, receive him. 
not just by words, but be born again and be baptized in order for you to receive the Holy Spirit. When you go to Acts 1 verse 5, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In Acts 2 verse 4, And they will all be were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And that's that's true. And the Lord showed that to us in my dream that after I was born again, I received the Holy Spirit. And after that, I started to speak in tongues. And the Lord gave me, how am I going to speak in tongues? So the prophecy was fulfilled in Acts 2 verse 4. And at the same time, this prophecy is for all the believers, not only for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. So you have to ask yourself, brothers and sisters, so don't worry if you are a Jew or not. Even if you're a Gentile, when the Lord calls you, answer and open the door. For Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. No one comes into the Father except through Him. So when you receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, don't stop there, brothers and sisters. Be born again. Why did Jesus ask John the Baptist to baptize him? In order for the fulfillment of the Bible, the scripture, which is written, and for him to receive the Holy Spirit. And the same thing Jesus promised to us, be baptized with the Holy wa- with the water in order for you to receive the Holy Spirit. And once the Holy Spirit is in you, you will be led to amazing experiences with God the Father, with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will guide us and strengthen us and uh, lead us to our walk with Jesus Christ until the end. Remember in Revelation, the Lord said, don't worry when you are going to walk through your death because it's not you who's going to speak. Don't worry about what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit will speak through you. And therefore, we need the Holy Spirit to stay within us, cleanse ourselves, cleanse ourselves and purify yourself with the words of God and, and with His precious blood. And so that the Holy Spirit will dwell upon us. So brothers and sisters, I know we're not perfect, but continually ask the Lord's guidance and ask for forgiveness for all the sins that we have done. And try, try with all your heart to walk in righteousness with the Lord. So brothers and sisters, God bless each and every one of us. And then, if you are not born again, please be baptized with the, be baptized and be born again in order for you to receive the Holy Spirit. God bless you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Today, I come to you with a really difficult message. And I need to begin um, the message that the Lord gave me back in the summer of 2008. In 2008 was a season when Hillary Clinton and... Barack Obama were neck and neck in the race for the Democratic nomination for president. And it was during this race while they were neck and neck that I received this message from the Lord. He said, Barack Obama will be the next president of the United States. And when I heard that, I was taken back and I said, Lord, do you want me to vote for Barack Obama who supports 
uh, abortions and homosexuality. And he said, child, I'm not asking you to vote for Barack Obama. I'm just telling you that he will be the next president of the United States. He said, Barack Obama is a forked tongue devil. He said, your nation has been crying out for homosexuality and abortion, so I'm giving you a leader that will promote these things. And he said, but be rest assured, while he is president of the United States, my hand of judgment will come against your nation. Now I need to fast forward to April of 2013, and I want to share with you two prophetic dreams and a message from the Lord. In April of 2013, the first dream that I had was my husband and I were traveling in North Carolina in a vehicle, and we were heading up a mountain road when we saw a police car with its blue lights um, causing the traffic to come to a stop. And in the dream, I got out of the vehicle, and I started walking up the mountain road, and the police officer said, stop, don't come any further. And as I looked behind the officer, I saw a huge wave that was getting to, beginning to crest over the mountain. That was the first dream. The second dream that I had also in April of 2013 was this. We were at a beach um, on the east coast of the United States, and in the dream, there were these college students that were having a lot of fun, and they had taken a couch and a chair and an area rug, and they had placed it right at the, um, the oceans where the ocean um, comes in, right at the shore. And they were laughing and having a good time, and I went over to them in the dream, and I said, listen, if you don't remove your couch and your chair and your rug, the tide's going to come in and wash them away. And they just began to laugh at me, and they began to mock me in the dream. Then all of a sudden, as they were mocking me, off to, off to my right-hand side, I saw this giant wave get, getting ready to crest and to crash onto the beach. Now, I have never seen a wave this large before in my life. This wave was taller than any of the buildings that were all the hotel buildings and all of the buildings that were there. So after I had these two dreams, I went before the Lord in prayer and I said, Lord, what is it about these dreams? And he said, child, there is going to be a tsunami that's going to hit the east coast of the United States of America. And he said, warn the people to get out. He said, this wave will, will devastate the coastal cities. He said, the state of Florida will be decimated. He said that Washington, D.C. would be underwater. He said that New York would be flooded. And he said, this wave will kill millions and millions of people because they will not heed this warning. And so as I, as I had contemplated that, I knew that um, this was truly going to happen. I just did not know when because the Lord did not give me a time frame. So just recently, here in October, the Lord has given me another message. This is October of 2014, and this is the message that he gave me. He said, the house will fall before it is rebuilt. Understand the signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. He said, there will be a great shaking such has never been seen before. Yahweh's wrath is about to be released on this earth. And he said, do not pray against his wrath, for it is determined. So when I heard that, I began to um, 
become very sorrowful and I um, I went before the Lord and I said Lord my heart is, is, is breaking for, for my country because I know that your hand of judgment is coming against us soon. And I, Lord, I feel like Jeremiah because I know how heartbroken that Jeremiah was when you had given him the message that Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians would overtake the city of Jerusalem. And yet the people did not listen to Jeremiah. And during that time of prayer, Holy Spirit very clearly said to me, he said, child, he said, go to Jeremiah 33. And so I went to Jeremiah 33, and I want to read this to you so that you understand what it was the Lord was trying to tell me and to tell you. Jeremiah 33 says this, and beginning in verse 1, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time, while he was still shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Thus says the Lord who made it, the Lord who formed it and established it, Yahweh is his name. Call to me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the houses of this city and, and the houses that have been pulled down to fortify against the siege mounds and the sword. They come to fight with the Chaldeans, but only to fill their place with dead bodies of men whom I will slay in my anger and my fury and for those wicked that I have hidden my face from this city. But behold, I will bring health and healing. I will heal them and reveal to them the abundance of peace and truth. And I will cause the captives of Judah and the captives of, captives of Israel to return and to rebuild these places as at the first. I will cleanse them from all the iniquities by which they have sinned against me, and I will pardon all their iniquities by which they um, have transgressed against me. And, you know, after I read that uh, scripture, the Lord very clearly spoke these words to me. He said, Child, do not lament over what is about to come to your nation. My hand of judgment will, will bring restoration Many will get saved, and this has been the cry of your heart, that, that millions of souls would get saved. I will be glorified in your nation. Many wicked will perish in the floodwaters of the tsunami, the earthquakes, and the volcanoes that will erupt. He says, do not fear these things. You are under my protection. And at that point, I understood that this hand of judgment that the Lord was bringing against our nation was going to bring not only a restoration to, to um, his people, but a restoration to the government, and, and, and he was going to usher in something new and something better. And so here's my message to all of you who are contemplating this message that I am bringing forth. Number one, if you are a born-again Christian, and you love Jesus with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you are on fire for the Lord, then my message to you is this. First of all, take these words before Holy Spirit and ask him if you are to move off of the east coast of the United States and relocate. 
Second of all, I would say to you, begin to store up food like Joseph stored up food in preparation for what will happen to this nation because there will be many people that will be displaced from homes. There will be famines. There will be pestilence. There will be, uh, there will be um, scarcity of food. And so what I would say to you is begin to start storing up food, not to hoard for yourself, but to use to sustain people in this time of crisis so that you can not only give them food, but you can also give them the gospel message of Jesus Christ and that you can give them a hope. For those that are that have been lukewarm, that you've had one foot in the world and you've had one foot with the Lord, this is what I would say to you. You need to get your heart right with the Lord. You need to repent of all the sins that you have been that you have been committing at this point in your life. You need to recommit your life to Jesus Christ, to Yeshua, and you need to get on fire for him so that when this time of trouble comes, that you are ready. And for those that don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, this is what I would say to you. I would say to you, you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus before this judgment comes. Because if you are one of the ones that will be, that will be killed during this tsunami and during these earthquakes and during these volcanoes that will erupt, and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you will descend into the fiery pit of hell. And that will be your eternal destination. And I implore you to, to come before the Lord and ask him to forgive you of all of your sins. Ask him to be your Lord and your Savior. And you can do it by, by saying these words. You can do it by saying, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose from the dead on the third day and that you are alive and seated at the right hand of the Father. And Jesus, I repent and I turn from all of my wickedness, all of my evil thoughts and all of my evil ways and I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior and I ask you to come right now into my heart to be my Lord and my Savior. And if that is your desire and that is your heart, then this day your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Time is short. This judgment is coming. And I believe it will come while Barack Obama is still our president of the United States of America. And for those who have an, an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches, then I would say, open your ears and hear. My message today is about getting people ready for the final days. You see, John the Baptist preached a baptism of repentance to get people ready for Jesus. He preached in the power of Elijah to get people ready for the first coming of Jesus Christ. In Luke 1.17, it says this, He, meaning John the Baptist, will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. There's been a powerful sevenfold Elijah anointing that the Lord has been placing upon people to preach in the power of Elijah for, to get people prepared for the second coming of Jesus Christ. I'm here today to bring you a message to prepare you for Jesus' second coming. This message is not about beating people up. It's not about condemnation, and it's not about finger-pointing. I bring this message to you in truth and in love because it is my desire that not one person perish 
because of a lack of knowledge. We are entering into a time of history where repentance must be preached because it has been lost. Salvation, according to the Word of God, first begins with repentance. You see, Jesus was baptized by John, and after he was baptized, he was led by the Spirit to go into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And Jesus overcame Satan by the word, by using scriptures. And then it says that when Jesus left the wilderness, it says that he left in the power of the Holy Spirit. And right after he left that wilderness experience, Jesus had his first message to the people. And he said this, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then further on, further on in the gospel of Matthew, he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So what does it mean to repent? Well, repent means to think differently, to reconsider, and to regret your wrong actions. So what does sin mean? Sin means to go morally wrong. It's an offense to God. So repentance from sin means this, to think differently about your moral failures and to reconsider that they are wrong and that they are an offense to God. Sin also means to miss the mark so that you do not share in the prize. So let me give you an example. Let's suppose that you agree to run in a 5K race. Now the rules of the race are this, that anyone crossing the finish line will have a part of the prize. So if you are the first person to uh, cross the finish line, you will get a bigger portion of the prize. But if you are the last person to cross the finish line, you get a smaller portion of the prize. But if you drop out of the race, you do not get any portion of the prize. So the question remains to be asked is, what is the prize that, that is at the end of the race? And the answer is, the prize is our souls. You see, if we repent of our sins and we finish the race, then our souls will have eternal life in heaven. But if we drop out of the race and we willingly sin and we don't cross the finish line, Scripture says that our souls will go to hell and we will burn in the lake of fire and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because we are called to repent of our sins, the Bible clearly defines what sin is. So in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, Timothy describes what sin is. He says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. How many of you know that we are in the last days and that we are heading towards perilous times? Then Timothy continues to describe what these last days will look like, and here's what he describes them as. He says, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, 
slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. That description that Timothy gave is exactly what we are seeing today. So we truly are in these last days. Another scripture that defines sin is Revelation 21 verse 8. It says, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, I want to share with you the experience that I had with that scripture many years ago before I became a born-again Christian. So many years ago, we decided to make our house larger, and I hired a contractor to come in and do the drywall work. And in the process of conversation, he began to tell me this story. He said he had this one customer that was very, very difficult, and he kept calling the house complaining. And so one day, this very difficult customer called his house to complain. His wife had answered the phone, and he whispered to his wife, tell that man that I'm not home. So his wife lied for him and said, he's not home. And at, when he had told me that story, I said, oh, well, that was okay. That was just a white lie because you really didn't want to talk to that difficult customer. And not only that, it didn't hurt anyone. And he said, no, you're wrong. He said, it was a lie and I needed to repent of that. And he told me, he said, go to Revelation 21.8 and I want you to read it out loud. So I got my Bible. I went to Revelation 21.8 and I'm going to read it again. It says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then he asked me this question. He said, how many liars will burn in the lake of fire? And I said, all. And he said, how many liars will burn in the lake of fire? And I said, well, the scripture says all. And he asked me the third time. He said, how many liars will burn in the lake of fire? And I said, all. And then I finally got it. I finally understood that all liars will burn in the lake of fire. And I had told lies before. That meant I was going to hell to burn in the lake of fire. You see, the Holy Spirit used that scripture to convict me of the sin that I had in my life. And it was just a few months later that I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. You see, when we enter into salvation through Jesus Christ, the ceremonial law and the sacrificial laws were done away with. That means that we no longer offer animal sacrifices to cover our sins because Jesus Christ was the perfect Lamb of God to take away our sins. But you see, the moral law was never done away with. The moral law is the Ten Commandments. In Matthew 5, chapter, or chapter 5, verses 17 to 18, Jesus says this, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, 
one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all of this is fulfilled. So you see that we need to look to the Ten Commandments as a mark so that we can finish the race and we can finish it well. But we can only successfully obey the Ten Commandments through the power of Jesus Christ by being born again and being regenerated. No one has ever been saved by obeying the law. But yet, the law was not done away with because the law was to point us for a need of a Savior, and it was to point us to Jesus Christ. Jesus even says that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So we don't keep the commandments to gain us salvation. We keep the Ten Commandments because we love Jesus. Jesus also said that you will know mine by their fruit. And John the Baptist said this. He said, therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. So the question that I want to ask you today is, what fruit are you bearing? Are you ready to stand before Jesus if he would appear right now before you? Are there sins in your life that you need to repent of? Now, I'm not just talking to unbelievers. I'm talking to born-again believers in Jesus Christ that have sin, that need to be repented of so that you can be ready for Jesus' second return. My next, my next point that I would like to point out is if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, now is the time to come to him and say, you know, I'm having a change of mind about my moral failings. And I want to turn from all of them. And I want you, Jesus, to forgive me because I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. And if that is you today, if Holy Spirit is convicting you like he convicted me of my sin and he convicted me of my need to become born again and to get saved, then today is your day to, to have a spirit of repentance. And go before Jesus and say, I am so sorry for all those wrong things that I have done. And Jesus, I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior. And Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the dead on the third day. And if that is you today, then today you are getting prepared for these final days. So I want to leave you with one encouraging scripture in Luke 15:10. Jesus said, Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And if that sinner was you, then I am rejoicing with you and, I, and the angels are rejoicing. Because we need to repent. Because Jesus is coming very soon. And the question is, are you ready? My husband, Will, received information in the 1960s that supports the things that we are seeing today and that will occur um, in the dreams and visions that I was given. You know, back in the late 1960s, I purchased uh, some gas stations. And in the process, I met somebody that worked for the U.S. Geological Survey. Now, back then, of course, security wasn't like it is today. And one weekend, I was invited down to look at some maps. Now, obviously, today you couldn't do that. 
But I went into this this room, this big room at the U.S. Geological Survey, and there were great big, huge maps. And the maps you had to fold them out. I mean, they were they were they were bigger than the maps that you see in a, a, a architect's office. And as we rolled back the maps, I was amazed because some of the things I saw have, are very pertinent for today. In fact, California, California is held up by stalagmites and stalactites. They're five and six miles big. So underneath the most of California is hollow. And there's a ledge that goes out, and the ledge goes out in the water. And on the outside edge of the ledge, silt is building up as the currents come up from South America. Well, that, that was interesting. Then I saw the Mississippi Valley. Well, the Mississippi Valley is under huge above huge caverns. So if the top ever broke, the whole valley would drop. And then I saw some maps of the Canary Islands. Now, the Canary Islands set right off of the coast of Africa, of West Africa, and they're unstable. They set on stalagmites and stalactites, very much like California. Well, that was pretty interesting. That was back in 1969. Well, in 1972, I had my experience with our Savior, Yeshua, Jesus Christ. And in the process, I was in a ministry with a man who was very much into the world of setting people free. And he told me a story of some prophecies that came about in 1951. Now, this was 1972. So in 1951, there were two prophets, one in Canada and one in Florida. And they both had the same dream the same night. And the first dream, they were looking down on the U.S. and they saw the major cities blackened as by fire. Now, they had no idea what that was. This was in 1951. But then they both had an amazing dream or vision, and they were standing on a mountain, high on a mountain, and I'm pretty sure now it was the Rockies, and they were looking out across the coast, and all of a sudden the land lifted up and slid off into the sea. Well, why would, why would a land lift up and slide off into the sea? Well, just last week I learned that the San Andreas Fault is a vertical fault. It's straight up and down. So if that fault were to break and California were to turn up on those stalagmites and stalactites, what would happen? It couldn't just drop. It would have to rise up and fall into the sea. And then let's look at the Mississippi Valley. Very interesting. The Mississippi Valley is over huge caverns. Well, you know about the sinkholes that are happening now all down in the south. Well, I'm going to tell you what the sinkholes are. The sinkholes are salt mines that are filling with water, and as the salt gets soft, the land above drops down into the, 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 wet salt, the wet salt below. And that's where the sinkholes are coming from. And you're getting, there are huge salt mines under the Gulf of Mexico. And now they're beginning to leak. There are huge salt mines up around the Great Lakes. And they're beginning to leak. What happens to salt when it gets wet? It turns to mush. Well, if the mush is underneath the land, what happens to the land? The land drops down. And you've heard of all the sinkholes happening now in Louisiana and down along the Gulf Coast and down in Florida. Well, these things are all pertaining to what we're learning now about the salt mines. And just to carry this a little bit further, when I, when I went in and looked at those, at those maps, I was astounded because they were so clear. And our government obviously has had that knowledge since the 60s because this was 1969. 
And then something happened in 1970, let's see, 1978. I met a man in Roanoke, Virginia. He was a graduate of Virginia Tech. He was world-renowned for his core drillings. This man was extremely wealthy. He would be hired by engineering firms to go in and do core samples when they were going to build skyscrapers or hospitals or, or major uh, heavy buildings. He would go in he would do core samples. Well, this was 1978, and he told me about going up to Manhattan. And he said he was going up there to do core samples under a new hospital. And it was a really large structure, so it had a lot of weight. And he, do, he was doing core samples, and he got down to a certain point, and all of a sudden, he hit a cavern. And the cavern, he said, was 120 feet deep. Well, underneath of Manhattan Island is a huge cavern. Huge cavern. Well, if you've ever been around mines, they, when, when you're around a mine, in order to hold the top up, they put bolts in the top and they tighten the top up. It's called the top. Well, every cavern has a top. Well, if Manhattan Island's cavern, if the top ever splits or breaks or cracks, where's the island going to go? It's going to go straight down. So now we're getting all these revelations about things that could potentially happen. Now, the truth is, we only know what Father tells us. We don't know anything further than that. And we don't have any idea what's going to cause the tsunami on the East Coast. But we have some possibilities. First of all, we know that Efren Rodriguez has had a vision for, for many, many years about a, a meteor or an asteroid or some large rock hitting an island between Puerto Rico and Dominican Republic. Now, that certainly could cause some kind of a, a, a disruption. Secondly, there have been many, many visions of people saying three rocks hit the Earth, one in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean off of North Carolina, one down more closer to the South America, and the one hitting in, in the Gulf. So it's possible that those rocks hitting the, hitting the Earth could cause this huge disruption. The second thing is the Canary Islands are unstable. Suppose something happened and the Canary Islands were to fall into the sea. Well, it's already, it's already been uh, calculated that nine hours from then, a wall of water would hit the East Coast that was three to 600 feet high. Well, a 600-foot-high wall of water, that's okay, but do you realize how fast the tsunami travels? They travel at excess of 500 miles an hour. So it's possible that, that could be what causes this. It could be an earthquake because there are fault lines all across the planet. And we're hearing a lot now about the fault lines in the Pacific up near Washington, Oregon, and Northern California. So it's interesting that all of these things happened for me back in the 60s. And today, my wife is having these dreams and visions. So this is just a confirmation. This is just possibilities. Of course, we have no idea what could, what could cause the water to slosh around in the ocean to that degree. But we, we, we do know that something's going to happen in the fall of this year. Many, many prophecies. So, and we, we don't know what those things are going to be. But we just know it's going to be an interesting time. So I'm just sharing this with you so you can see that this is something that our government's known about for a long time. The Russian government a couple of years ago told us about rocks that they say were going to hit the earth. So governments know what's going on. But now you and I know what's going on because God is bringing this word forth through many, many, many prophets. Not just my wife, but many, many prophets. So I want to thank you for your time. Do you have anything you want to add, honey? 
Yes, um, the one thing that I do want to add is that um, the Lord, when he showed me the tsunami hitting the East Coast and, and actually told me that it would hit the East Coast, he did not, I repeat, he did not give me a time frame. He did not give me a month, nor did he give me a year. He has just told us to prepare and to get off the East Coast 